Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Nerdy Show Book Club is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to Nerdy Show Book Club, our every other month journey into the world of literature. Hi, I'm Cap. Hey, I'm Brandon. Hi, I'm Danica. And I'm Colin. And in this episode of Nerdy Show Book Club, well, we're going to be doing the things we always do here on Nerdy Show Book Club. We're going to be talking about what we've read and then also discussing a book that we've read along with you guys, the community. In uh, this case, it's Armada by Ernest Cline, his follow-up to the massively successful Ready Player One, a pop culture extravaganza, which we were all surprised that I think all of us actually enjoyed when we read it the first time. I think it was one of the first Um, books I've read in years, so yeah. (laughs) And so this is his follow-up novel. This is the time when he needs to prove himself. We have thoughts. We have, and, we, <laughs> and we have thoughts. We do have, All the thoughts. have very complex thoughts on this follow-up. But in the meantime, we got lots of books to read and discuss. And uh, we're going to be doing uh, some excerpts, some dramatic readings and so on, and having a good old time. So this is uh, Nerdy Show Book Club is, is kind of back on schedule after a massive, massive hiatus the past year. Woohoo! Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited <laughs> Are you woohooing the hiatus or that we're back? That we're back. Oh, okay. Sorry. I heard after a massive hiatus. Woo! Woo! Sorry. Um, this is this is the, the last time that I'm going to post Nerdy Show Book Club in the main Nerdy Show feed. So now's your chance, guys. If you want more Nerdy Show Book Club, you're going to have to subscribe to the independent feed. We'll get it all separated just like we did with State of the Empire, our Star Wars speculation podcast, where we look for news in Alderaan places, which was a spinoff from the main Nerdy Show. Nerdy Show Book Club is two spinning off in full, and uh, you'll find it over... Well, at nerdyshow.com slash book club, and you can subscribe to it on all the feeds that you get podcasts from. Whatever that is, so do. It's actually been, at this point, in in our time, not in listener time, but in our time, uh, quite a while since our last recording. I assume we've read some books, so let's start with uh, Denica. What you been reading? Well, I just started reading uh, a book by Anna Guire, which I think is a spinoff from her more popular series, the Sarintha Jack series. Um, I think it's called Perdition. 
And what kind of books are these? They are sci-fi. Okay. So like Percy Jackson. I've never read Percy Jackson, so... What? So like Donald Donald Blumchimpshire. (laughs) What? I don't even... (laughs) I'm just making up names because I don't know. I've heard of Percy Jackson, but I don't know what that means. I I don't know what that indicates. You know, there's there's a guy and he does things. Anyway. Well, I'm only, I think, maybe two chapters in uh, so far, but it's basically about a giant space prison where they've basically sent these really hardened criminals to die. It used to be some sort of some sort of old processing plant ship thing that they basically wasn't being used anymore, so they just throw prisoners on it intermittently at random intervals and sometimes give them supplies and there's no guards, there's no nothing. They're just on the ship for the rest of their lives. What a supplies. What a supplies. <laughs> That sounds like that movie No Escape, but in space. Strong female protagonist. It's a female author. There seems to be a character that's from this other uh, series, the Sorrentha Jack series, which is about space travel and war and a alien race of insects on a planet called Ithistor. So I feel like there's going to be a lot of... It's in a, it's in a bigger universe. Yeah. This, this is. Okay. Right. Which I'm excited about because I really liked that other series. So I'm excited that she started a series within that um same universe there. Yeah. How come female authors never write a strong male lead? I don't think that's don't, universally I'm true. <laughs> I think that's bullshit. And didn't All you, they do didn't is you, write about themselves. They don't know how to write the opposite didn't sex. Didn't you mention Harry Potter? <laughs> yeah, that guy wrote like, that, obviously. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right? Yeah, John Carl Rowling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> J.K. Rowling. No one strong, that, no one that a, a strong man's name. Yeah, yeah, no one that rich and successful could possibly be a woman. No, of course not. <laughs> That's um, what I'm saying. And then the other book that I read j- just before that that I just finished uh, was I was rereading A Handmaid's Tale because I want to do it for the next Nerdy Show Book Club. Was that an announcement here? It could be. All right. Next book for Nerdy Show Book Club, Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. Uh, I believe they're turning it into a movie, but I haven't researched much on that. Let, let me tell you about Handmaid's Tale. I know the name. I've heard it for years. What the hell is it about? It's about her tail, I assume. <laughs> it's not a, It's not about a handmade story, but she literally has a tail. And the whole book, she's like, God, I've got to hide well, this. So it's, handma- it's handmade, though, Brandon. It's, it's yeah, handmade. It's a, it's a handmade tale. It's a DIY book about... <laughs> it's speculative fiction. Uh, I guess maybe you would call it a dystopian future, where it seems as if... I don't know if it's the entire U.S. or just the East Coast, has at some point a, a religious faction basically infiltrated the Congress, killed everybody in power, and took over the U.S., basically. And now it's a religious state. That sounds very plausible, actually. Where women are chattel again, and they're not polygamous. They don't have multiple marriages, but basically you can have a wife, and then if you're of a certain stature and power, you can have allotted handmaids basically which are very basically the the birth rate but before this happened i guess the birth rate was starting to plummet and then since then has continued to there are mentions of toxic dump cleanups and things like that so uh, allegedly in this this future past because it was actually written in in 85 so it's supposed to be like the 90s probably something like that the future in the 90s (laughs) the future past and it's not it's not sci-fi like in a techie way it's like a dystopian future where everything got really shitty and taken over by 
religious no, state, I, basically. I, I love books like that. Like like Ridley Walker is still probably one of my favorite books I've read in the past 10 years. And that one, do you remember me talking about that on book club? <laughs> it's where they have, don't they talk in their own language? Oh, Something yeah. Like it's real to hard to read. because it's, <laughs> it's It's all in its own uh, Didn't you make dialect. us read a page from that once? And it was really hard. Yeah, but it was great, man. It's so rewarding. <laughs> it's so good. I would... I would love to subject everyone to Ridley Walker, but I feel I like... I actually have your copy of that. I think it's in my borrowed from other people section. That's entirely <laughs> possible because I haven't seen it in years. Yeah, I'm, pretty sure it's, I'm pretty sure it's here. Colin has an entire room in his house, by the way, devoted to things he's borrowed from other people for just his entire life. Mm-hmm. They are fine collectibles that I have been <laughs> procuring over my years of public service. So basically, Handmaid's Tale is told from the viewpoint of one of these women who's basically just a vessel to have children. Mm. So basically, like I said, the birth rate is is dropped. So they're not having children. So anyone that's not the wife of a powerful guy that has viable ovaries basically gets put into the service to be passed around to different houses to have children or to possibly have children. Where they teach they teach the children how to make their own tail. Hand, make your own no you're doing spin the cloth around it make your own t- no no oh, oh that's a good tail twigs, that's eh? a fine yeah. tail <laughs> are you are you done i've not even begun to be done yeah i'm done <laughs> so I, I those are the two books I've read. For Galdap, Cap. what no Galdap. I'm insane. He's definitely a kind of Galdorp. I'm his younger brother. Yeah, he's... Galdorp. (laughs) (laughs) The wizarding is beckoning me. I think maybe we should pull him onto an episode of D&D as Galdorp to do the intro. Having having no context whatsoever about what we've been doing. Back to book club where I've derailed everything again. But Brandon, what's your... If Galdorp, what's his... um? What's his adjective? Like, you know, it's the Galdorp the what? The hamster. <laughs> Galdorp the Galdorp hamster. The, ham- the, the hamster. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost. I've already lost how to do the voice. Anyway. <laughs> my throat's dying. So, so. Yeah, you've read those two things. Yes. So, Brandon, <laughs> what have you been reading? Uh, well, you guys know how I feel about reading. It's, there's no controller and there's no screen. So it's a horrible thing, but someone went and bought me like 20, <clears throat> someone. 20 books by some D-bag named Kurt Vonnegut. So, <laughs> so whatevs, I started, I picked up one of the, the I think his first novel, uh, Player Piano, and started reading that. And it was, it's pretty interesting. I'm actually almost done. I, I haven't finished it, obviously. I, I'm almost done. I've got a few pages left. But essentially, Player Piano is once again a dystopian um, United States of America that takes place post-war in pretty much an alternate 1950s where all of the jobs have become automated by machines and the curious thing is that they took our jobs yeah basically it's because it's in the 1950s all the machines aren't powered by like processors and computers like today but they're all like vacuum tubes and punch cards there's yeah punch cards and like and there's like reels of magnetic tape that that to make the machines do the same moves as whoever recorded that tape. So they're basically mimicking. So everyone's out of work except for the top tier managers and engineers, which is like 0.1%. So like 90% of 90 or 99% of the country is out of work. And they basically live in a form of a welfare state where they all get a place to live so no one's homeless and they all get enough food to eat so no one goes hungry and they all get the latest like TV and washing machine. But everyone is also dead inside 
just like the American dream. And it's fun to read this and the parallels between what is currently happening with our machines and automated society and morons running everything and what Kurt Vonnegut predicted in the 1950s. So it's a really interesting book and it's essentially about a character who has risen to the top on the coattails of his dad. He's, he's a manager, he's going places, and then he just realized how empty and pointless everything in his life is. And he starts hanging around with the, the, you know, the, the low lives and the dregs, which is everyone in society, and realizing like, how much fun they are and how much they've been screwed over by everyone. Because basically they take tests um, when they're very young to determine their IQ. And if it's not high enough and you're not good enough, you're deemed worthless by society. You're given, you're given a house, you're given some stuff, and that's it. You're dead to society. You could be dead and it wouldn't matter. You contribute nothing. There are menial construction jobs that you can do, but that's literally it. You have no, nowhere to go, nothing to do. Well, I mean... In it's a great book. Hypo- hypothetically, I mean, I'm, I'm, that's, it sounds, it sounds it's really well. compelling. Um, in, in a situation where there's, say, a universal income or or the government is taking care of the people whether they want them there or not. Mm-hmm. Um, That's some communist bullshit right there. <laughs> it pretty much, I think it's a bit of a satire of, of the way we are well, leaning towards communism. But in what, that what about, sort of what about the arts in this universe? What, what, like if, if people have all that free time on their hands because they got nothing to do. No, nope, then... everything is determined by machines. The machines determine what art is going to be popular. The machines determine who is going to like what art and he determines who is going to produce that art. So if there's a specific artist who makes one type of art and that's what's in, only they can do that art. No one can do anything. And most things are really replicas of stuff that's already been done. <laughs> there aren't really new types of art. It's replicas of whatever is the machines determine are in. That sounds the, highly the machines, but, but How can there be new art with no strife? But man? you do realize that with algorithms and advertising today in 2016, that's exactly what happens. Everything that is creative and artistic today is actually being determined by what the public wants or what marketing sciences determine what they want. Well, only in some spheres. Well, true, but they will influence the popularity of certain arts to their liking. In my opinion, guys, in my opinion. Because you're so tuned into the art world. I am now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Vonnegut has opened my eyes. Hey, I got yeah. him to read a book. Like I'm impressed. Just, well, I'm not done on with his it own. Yet. But no, um... I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this little guy named Kurt Vonnegut, but uh, he's, a, he's a pretty this little unknown author. <laughs> he's a pretty good writer. You know, I had to look up some words like, oh, God, obsequiousness. What the fuck? But, you know, it's yeah. a good word. So I, I like it now. I like that word. I've never read any Vonnegut, actually. Shh. Well, you should. You you all should. I'd let you borrow one, but I would never get it back. Yeah, no, you, <laughs> can't, you can't borrow those. Out. I bought those for Brandon so that I could reread them. I have a stack of Vonnegut now on my shelf that I have to read, so. But I feel like everyone should read at least one Vonnegut book, or possibly all of them. Uh, I think that was his first novel. But the, the thing that's so weird is just how he has written it in the 1950s, and almost everything he's saying is completely true to what is happening today. Not just with an automated society, but just the politics and the bureaucracy of it is just crazy. Well, it almost, I'm almost reading like, like something that's happening in 2016. That's, that's happened a lot lately. Yeah. There lots of, I mean, there was, there was a lot of awful stuff, weird shakeups in the human condition happening between the early and mid 20th century that, uh, that really rattled a lot of, a lot of folks' brains. And, mm-hmm. and as such, they turned out some fiction based on what they perceived as worst case scenarios, some of which is disturbingly true. But at the same time, I also see the point of having an automated society because if it's in the name of progress and advancement, it's they are more efficient than people. What is progress? What yeah, is advancement? Exactly. But from a business point of view, you've, you've got to think, well, <laughs> this machine can work day and night better than you can and I don't need to pay it. So why wouldn't I use a machine? 
But at this point, who's making money? If everyone has a universal income, what are they spending money on? Oh, it's on? the top point one percent is the ones making the money, obviously. And then it trickles down to everyone else barely. They get like I think thirty dollars a week to do whatever they want with, and that's their like that's their, their fun money. money. That's their fun money. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And you're dead. You're dead inside, though. So yeah, Player Piano was Vonnegut's first published novel, and I would say that one, and then Timequake, which was. If not his last, one of his last novels. Those are my two favorite Vonnegut bu- books. Timequake is involves time travel and how Columbus was an asshole. <laughs> I can't wait to read that the one. Best I've way heard, to sum that I've up. I've heard of that. Do I have that one? Is that one of <laughs> yes, the ones I have? That's Ooh. one of the ones I buy. I'm reading it next. We actually had a great discussion late last year on Nerdy Show about uh, the age of automation the coming age of automation anyway, in, in reality. I'll link to it on this episode's page. Mm-hmm. It's called The Age of Automation, Our Robotic Future. And uh, I, it was a discussion I really enjoyed and have been hearkening back to ever since we recorded it. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what I've been reading, guys. How, how, about, how about you, Colin? You've had a lot of stuff going on. I don't actually know how much we've talked about on the show, but you had a baby. That's a yes. big deal. Where did you have yes. him? Uh, in a van down by the river. Um. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's, okay. It's old hey, reference. Man. Mama Bee's <laughs> birthing van. It's a good, mid, good midwifery. <laughs> no, it was a water birth uh, with dolphins. Um <laughs> Well, that's two very different dolphins I heard. One's a bottleneck, and I think one is a West Pacific. Um, that's a Pacific, and one's an Atlantic, guys. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> y- y'all know that's real shit, right? With, yeah. With having... dolphins? Yeah. That's like, fucking can... dangerous. Dolphins okay. rape anything. It doesn't matter if it's a baby. Well, apparently, like, the dolphin, like, you know, there's, like, the, there's a dolphin midwife. Bullshit! Like, like, You're fucking with me! That's a I, book! No, I swear, there is a... I've there, never heard of this. It sounds amazing. Birth. That is when the most give birth, reckless they, endangerment a, bullshit. One of the dolphins act uh, in the pod acts as the midwife. Oh, he's not, not for people. He's saying just for no, other dolphins. No, they have, they have taken it so that these dolphins will do this with human babies. That's worse than and SeaWorld. So, you can give birth in o- in an ocean with dolphins. <laughs> a, sh- a shark just smells all the blood and shit <laughs> coming out and just kills so, everything. Yeah, so the so this midwife dolphin like when a dolphin <laughs> baby is born will like take the do- the baby dolphin up to the up to the surface so that it can breathe. And so like that's what they have uh, I guess done with humans and train these dolphins and but it's yada, yada, yada. so a dolphin maid's tail thousands of dollars to have a wait dolphin. what if the dolphin just takes your baby and then swims off with it into like to atlantis like i will bring him back as the new king <laughs> the newborn king of well, atlantis you, then you should be so fucking lucky how do, so wait That's you cut right. don't take do my they, word for it how do they carry do you, the baby you, in their mouth thank god hands dog i know what they exists. just like push it up to the yeah oh well, babies float yeah, I mean, there's just yeah. fat little tubs of fat. They blow, they blow water, air from their blowholes, and you know, and the baby goes woo. Up. Yep, like a guy. <laughs> oh god, exactly. I can't tell if he's lying, but it so, sounds real. So you guys did that, huh? You guys had that kind oh, of. Yep. My child is part merman, <laughs> liar, and uh, part dolphin. How old's your How old's um, your baby? He is five months old, and actually pertaining to uh, book club, he is he is named after uh, a character in a book. Um, his name is Asher, and uh, he's named after um, Ash Ketchum. Asher, Asher from um, The Giver. So I haven't. I don't think I've read that one. My sister's. Obviously. I think my, I I think think my sister one, Sky is named after a, a character in a romance novel my mom read once. Oh, you should have named so. him Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <Vampires>. <laughs> <laughs> his full name. 
<laughs> Asher Morgan Freeman Vampires Peterson. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that sounds good. That sounds good. Yeah, no, he, but he, uh, yeah, no, that, and 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 if you haven't read The Giver before, um, it is uh, my wife and I one of our favorite books of all time, and it uh, do not base your opinions of that book if you have not read it on the movie because the movie is not that. Book. Most yeah, movies, I thought I most heard movies it sucked, aren't. but. Yeah. I think I thought I heard that maybe the book sucked too, but no, you're saying that the, the, book, book, the book does not suck. Was Jeff Bridges sucks. in it? He was. I think it's just Jeff Bridges' time to just be done. It's his time. <laughs> After Tron, it's his time. I mean, I like him in that movie, but it's his time. He needs to just groove out. He needs to chill out, man. Do that digital jazz all the way home. Well, I mean, we we, we got that Big Lebowski sequel coming. So. Wait, Wait, don't what? hold your breath for that. Uh, He's probably not even going to meet Why do we need a sequel to that? We don't. But I'm curious anyway because the Coen brothers die pretty consistently. What? Oh, no, his character died. <laughs> Donnie. Well, that was. I want him in the movie again. I hope it's a prequel and they digitally made them younger. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Who are you? I'm Donnie. Oh, it'll be Lebowski babies. They With, do like Muppet babies. How but old the, is Jeff Bridges? I mean, he was already looking pretty old in that movie. CG man, make him ten. <laughs> Whatever. Be like the Sandlot with the with them. Sandlot <laughs> three. <laughs> There, there was a Sandlot three, I believe. My bowling ball yeah, went right was. into his yard. Yeah, the the guy who plays um Squints, uh, it comes back to coach the team because they're about to destroy the Sandlot. <laughs> Wait, was there a Sandlot two? You're fucking with me. No, part do. Oh, no, part do. <laughs> God, is there a graphic novel? Part do do. Is there? Yeah, that's what I hear. <laughs> it probably is. But Colin, it sounds like you've seen these films. Tell me, how are the Sandlot sequels? Oh, they are just you know wonderful. Um, actually, I have I have I haven't read them. Uh, I mean, I haven't watched them. The um, I just read the back of the the box. <laughs> do you do you own them? <laughs> that was enough for me. Do you own them? No. Or have you have you gone to a blockbuster where they still exist and just read the description? Oh no, I saw it at like a Hudson Books or some shit in an airport. <laughs> That's uh, hilarious. There was Sandlot Sand Three just waiting for me to watch on a on a flight, but no, <laughs> I chose, I chose, it was it was paired with like some other random. I think it was like paired with um, Home Alone Three, Airbud Seven. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was paired with A League of Their Own. <laughs> Yep, those yes. are two definitely per- equal movies. That's what you want to watch. You want to watch a league of their own, which is actually a good movie, and then like move on to Sandlot, Sandlot Three, starring Squints. Fuck, <laughs> that's a bit. Well, he married he married Wendy Peppercorn. Who the, I know that name. Movie. Where's that from? From Sandlot. The, from Sandlot. <laughs> oh wait, in real life, or you mean in the movie? In the movie. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant in real life. And I was like, they, and then they made the movie together. Well, his kid is like in the Sandlot, like in that team of, you know, of those scrappy youngsters who, you know, now play on the Sandlot. And then they're about to bulldoze it over. I was going to say, so wait, 20 years later, they're still a Sandlot? I call oh, shenanigans. Yeah. Someone would have bought that well, they're up. About, they're about to. Nah, that, shit, nah. that shit needs to be a gas They'd station. They'd have paved that by Sandlot 2. Super Fuck Walmart. That. I think Colin's lying about having seen this movie because he has retained an <laughs> no, awful lot of... No, he said he didn't see... Oh, I, oh, oh you reta- think he did see it? He's retained see, yeah, yeah. an awful lot of information. Oh, you mean he's lying, yeah. about, he's lying about not seeing it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. He's seen it. So, has he read any books yet? When do, when, did they, when do they start reading those things? Sandlot 3, heading home. It should be Sandlot 3, he's, heading He's still looking grave. at his VHS copy. Yeah. I'm sorry. What I, all, what I just described was the plot for Sandlot 2. Told you they'd have paved that shit by Sandlot 2. Wait, is there, yeah, a, so, is there a third one, though, actually after that? Oh yes, the no, third there is. one is Sandlot heading home, guys. What? Guys, what? okay. Successful, arrogant baseball superstar Tommy Santa Santarelli, who is played by Luke Perry, is knocked unconscious Luke by Perry. a wild pitch and wakes 
to all of his childhood friends in the year 1976 when he attempts <laughs> explanation to his mother. She calls a doctor of whom she quarrels. Eventually, uh, he goes to play baseball in 1976. Yep. So basically, wait, like, this Luke movie Perry has time travel. Yep. With Luke Perry. It's a time travel movie with Luke Perry. It's Back to the Future. I'm like leaving right now. I don't care. Whether, I'm going to watch this. <laughs> Upon return to his future, he learns that he has remained in communication with his old friends ever since the victories of the... What do you, you know, mean he changing, has... Changing the past. He has learned, so he's, he's so he gets, altered he the gets future. Knock, he gets knocked out, he goes back yep. in the past, and then his, yep. de- his, his present is changed. Correct. Well, did they just tell you the As ending of the it's movie? It's bound to, although he probably shouldn't remember. He's probably on but Wikipedia. But Benny, Benny the Jet Rodriguez is in it, too. So Benny the Jet. It. Well, aside from um, absorbing way too much information about sh- sequels that never should have happened, which is a fun pastime, I'll admit. What have you been reading, Colin? <laughs> the <laughs> well, show's about books. P.S. Uh, James Earl Jones is in Sandlot, too. Damn. So... <laughs> Going with the theme of um, post-apocalyptic Base. versions of America. Is there uh, any that, other kind? Yeah, that is that uh, I read a book uh, actually in, in, in the past that I'll be just, uh, talking about. It's called The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Now, when I first picked up this book, I thought it looked really interesting. When you open it up, main plot is basically about this this young man. I mean, this uh, the father and his son. And their really horrible experiences through this post-apocalyptic future where you have learned – you don't really learn exactly how something came to be, but basically you you kind of get glimpses that it's a um, – nuclear uh fallout like all of the trees are dead there's no livestock humans are dead there's cannibals everywhere society is completely broken down and everyone is um you know every man for himself really after i read it i didn't necessarily think that it was i knew that it was a good book but it didn't really like a lot of people this really struck people in it and it really i mean it's there's a lot of gruesome shit that happens in this like where they go into a um a cabin and in the cellar of this cabin are people that are limbless because the reason why they are missing these limbs is because they have been eaten by cannibals. It's my favorite um, X-Files episode. And they're actually. keeping, they're basically <laughs> keeping their meat fresh by keeping these people alive. Newborn babies like roasting on spits and like all sorts of like really disgusting, horrible stuff that's going on in this book. And the really interesting thing is that main characters are written where they don't have names it's just the man and the boy and so the way that it's described and the way that it is um written like the man you know sheltered the boy from seeing etc 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 and and the boy you know coward and so and so forth but it's it's a really interesting take on how the world how he thinks that the world is gonna end up and it's i mean it won a pulitzer prize but one thing that really stuck with me and I still kind of think to this day was the man turned to the boy and and told him um, as they were going through a particularly disgusting part of uh, the city where basically uh, literally thousands of people committed mass suicide. Uh, He turned to the boy and he basically told him, he's like, you can choose what you see, but you cannot choose what you remember. I'm trying to think about that. that. Sorry, I'm not that smart. Hold on. I read that. And then like there was some shit going around on the internet about oh, it was around the time of like the executions and stuff like that that were happening with ISIL and stuff like that and a lot of people were watching them online and I just cho- I knew that they existed but I chose not to watch it that made me think about 
you know, what I consume, especially on the internet, like with stuff like two girls and one cup. And, <laughs> we just went there. Yeah. Fucking goatsy and like lemon party. That, you, know I mean? you know, like all that shit. Like, you know, you don't, there's all these things on the internet that just because they exist, you don't necessarily need to see it. Mm. Um, Never and, seen uh, any of those so on it, purpose. So <laughs> That's what a thing that really, really stuck with me. And, a lot of people, this was a new experience for them reading this book. But I feel like if you have played The Last of Us, like then this book is along those same feelings. So it's not as shocking if you've played video games in this kind of world that he's he's painting. But it's a really, obviously, it won the Pulitzer Prize. I mean, it, it is a really well-written book, um, but it is very disturbing. And um, But particularly that one section of the book really stuck with me and has stuck with me for a very long time. Haunts your now, dreams. That was a movie starring Aragorn, wasn't it? 2009. Uh, yes. Yes. I did uh, see the movie. I haven't read the book. Oh, okay. Was but the movie goes down pretty much exactly the way you explained it. So do you think that The Last of Us was influenced by The Road? It might be. I mean, this was made in 2006. I don't know. So. Like, I know that movie came out before The Last of Us did. I don't know. The Last of Us is a ago. really good story, too. It's different, but it's really good. It also won a Pulitzer yeah. Prize. <laughs> but, but, don't take, but don't take his word for it. The other, the, what I'm currently reading, though, is I'm reading um, A Feast for Crows and um, A Dance with Dragons. I know those titles. At, for the at first the, time? At, at, for the first time, at the same time. Are they Game of Thrones? Yes. Okay. Well, A Song of Fire and Ice, if you want to be No, I don't want to be. Thank you. Now, Colin, ice and fire. Y- you've, been, fire. you've been on a specific... Uh, Game of Thrones diet as bequeathed unto you by uh, Matt Spill, who bequeathed? is the professor of Game of Thrones around the yes. show. And so so please explain why you're reading these books in tandem. Okay, so the those two books were written essentially as one book, but because of current printing, they could not have all of the, they couldn't fit all of those pages into one book. So <laughs> I'm they, never reading them. So George R. R. Martin basically decided to split them in half. Um, and obviously he took a little bit more time to finish up Dance of Dragons and, you know, flesh some more things out and Feast of Crows and all that kind of stuff. Because he's um, a dick. But essentially <laughs> those two books take place at exactly the same time. So there is a guide online that you can find. It's, and we'll link to it on this episode's page. It's called All Other Must Be Boiled is the, is the, the website. It describes like, the reading order of this you need read the Cersei chapter and then in in uh Dance with Dragons and then you read um you know the Tyrion chapter and Feast of Crows and yada, So like yada. a chronological chronological order? Yes. As opposed to however yes. he wrote and it's it. actually quite mm. it's really well done and it's mm. it's really interesting and it fits really well. I was there's never been a point where I was like, "Oh, that's weird. I didn't hear about that." Because they also skip like you can skip chapters in Dance of Dragons. They're like, okay, now go back to that chapter that you skipped. So that, or like, go ahead in this in this book by you know find this chapter. It's really quite uh, interesting and exciting. But I have like you know two huge fucking paperbacks sitting on my um, my desk with two bookmarks in them, and so you, I just have to go back and forth between two books. So it's not a great way to travel, you know, and travel and read because you have these both of them, but. I don't know how anybody else reads these with not in this way because it makes a ton of it makes so much sense. All of these stories connecting in these ways makes so much sense and 
my wife Alicia read them separately, and she doesn't actually know what the chronology of the stories are, like when certain things happened at certain times. And she actually has forgotten a lot of those things because she thinks actually because she has she doesn't have the chronology correct in her brain. You know what does a good so. job of that though? Um, I think the show. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, and, aren't and the books rendered ultimately pointless? Because we all know he's never finishing that book. So he's never finishing. The thing about the show is, I actually have I since I have not read these two books, I stopped. I think at season three because <gasps> I have not seen. Did you I see the season not, finale the other day? He just told Brandon, you. Oh my god! Brandon, I want to spoil everything. I won't <laughs> spoil so, all yeah, the I things. So I don't actually know what. Is I don't know, you know, what most people know, just because I am not watching the I'm not watching the show. I, I feel like I want to read. It the has surpassed the books. We know that it is yes, surpassed. I was gonna say, uh, if somebody a spoiled season the season finale for this season for you, you wouldn't necessarily lose anything book wise. Well, but he would lose <laughs> everything in the show. Yeah, show wise, sure, but right, yeah. So, but. That's what I'm currently reading. It's amazing so how I, you've dodged any I, spoilers, really. Yeah, well, I've, uh, I've seen a couple things, so it's okay. <laughs> you know, it's just the, the nature of the world and the internet and Have you thought about stuff. investing in digital copies of those books as opposed to dragging around giant ones? And then you could copy-paste all the sections together. I am not. I know that you are a, main, a big fan of digital reading. I do not like digital reading. I have tried it. I hate it. I like I like feeling the 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 page in my fingers and I like smelling it. Whatever. Grandpa. I like that I can highlight sections and write notes without actually writing in a book. Yeah. See, I would never. I don't write notes. I love defacing. I don't. Books. I don't. I did not until I started doing this show. Well, that's <laughs> but interesting. I, but I found it to be useful now. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally see. I that. just cap lends me a book and then I just start writing in it and I figure he doesn't like give with a like shit. the Kindle edition. I, I can <laughs> I can highlight a passage. Append a note to that passage, then I can ask the app to show me all right. of my notes. So I can. I actually mentioned that the other day. That's I was cool. like, "That's very I was, smart." I was like, "I'll just highlight this or write on this book." And it was like, it, "That's Cap's book." She's like, "What the I was fuck like, what are the you, fuck doing? you doing?" I was like, uh, "He won't care." He's like, "Yes, he will." <laughs> I won't. No, but I, well, I, I wouldn't you know. actually deface this book. Well, yeah, you book. probably could have pissed on it anyway. <laughs> I'm not going to deface the book. What am I, Hitler? We have a fan message relating to your affection for digital reading, Denica. And you're, and you're, is it is it fuck you? No, 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 no. <laughs> it, it, it comes from a place of love. Uh, this is from Nathaniel Kraft. He says, please tell Denica to maybe pick up an actual e-reader like Kindle uh, Paperwhite or something else she can get her library books on. Lots of scientific studies suggest that looking at phones for long periods of time is not only terrible for your eyes, but the blue light they emit can actually lead to poor sleep and insomnia. I won't bore you with the technical details related to LED blue light. Just wanted her to know that her reading on her phone and having a hard time getting to sleep might be linked in, in a way she doesn't yet realize. We have a rebuttal to I'd be happy. Happy to send her 10 bucks towards a healthier way to get her reading fix. And here is the rebuttal. I'll take your $10, but my rebuttal is, I don't remember what it's called, but I've got the mode now where at 10 o'clock at night, it makes yeah, your phone warm instead yeah, of cold. Man, it changes the amazing. blue light to yellow. And, I, and, I, turn, and I turn the light down way low. And my yeah. history of insomnia stems well before my <laughs> cell phone usage. But thank you. I appreciate that. 
But <laughs> I've been saying that for a while now that she shouldn't be staring at a tiny ass screen. That she should get something like a Kindle because it tiny looks more real. Like doesn't paper. doesn't matter because you can tell it to make the fonts bigger. Yeah. It, wow. Interestingly, this is a feature that's only available in the newest version of iPhone, even though it came from an operating system. I do it. like it though because right. I'm staring at my phone and obviously I'm not sleeping if I'm doing that. And then it turns ten o'clock and everything has this. Yeah, warm everything tint. dims and it becomes warm. And then I just think it, of teddy bears and go to sleep. They actually <laughs> stole that. Um, they actually stole that, which they most often do from. I was like, it's Apple. App. They've stolen everything they've well, done. Yeah, no, it's from a jailbreak app. I was gonna say it was a hack F-Lux. or something, right? That they. Uh... Yeah, Flux. You could get Cap if you actually wanted to jailbreak your iPhone. You could get that. Well, I don't, but thank you for the proposal. <laughs> <laughs> it is quite amazing, and I highly recommend it. Um, I've been using it when it came out. I was so excited because I loved Flux when on my jailbroken iPhone, and which I did not jailbreak for legal reasons. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the, um, I just found it that way. Um, the, I don't know how it got there. I highly recommend turning the, the, that low light setting all the way down as far as it goes. Oh no, mine, mine is even before I, f- they added that to the OS, I was already yeah, turning down my light setting to way down when I'm reading at night. I like turning mine like, all, all the ways up so I can feel my pupils just shrinking. Just, <laughs> yeah. just like, oh, I'm working them out. Like fluorescent yeah, lights There's in your also phone. a way that you can make your screen by using the accessibility features. You can make it even dimmer than its lowest dim setting. Also, you can hook up the uh, Game Boy magnifying glass from the chunky Game Boy on your iPhone, <laughs> and it looks like you're just, the screen is massive. Yeah, totes. No, and I've, I've thought about... I, I got... A Kindle Fire? Oh, it like the wor- really... the worst one? Like, like literally there's a $30 version. As, as like a, a Christmas gift from work. And I've tried to use it. But I have, I like to read so much. Having something like a Kindle Paperwhite, I couldn't just carry it with me all the time. It would be irritating. So I think I, even if I owned one, I would keep going back to my phone. Because you're using it for everything else. And it's because right it's there, already so. in my pocket. Yeah. <laughs> iPhone has one. Everything's on that device. You don't need another device. Uh, I believe, and I, I believe this message from uh, Nathaniel came in prior to that operating system update. So, uh, mm, maybe. Yeah. Well, I don't. Well, it, it was, it was, between it was a, this and last book club. Yeah, it was. I thought it came before. Uh, no, nope. it was pretty recent. I don't know, but anyway, that's out there. And, and thanks, Nathaniel. <laughs> yeah. So here's what I've been reading. Okay, so I, I have a couple quick shout-outs to some stuff that I read over the past year because we're still working through that list. Colin <laughs> and I began to tackle that pile of crap that I read. All, some, some of it was a good How crap. do you read so many books? You're so busy. Well, we'll hold your horses because there's a, there's a big clause to all of this. Yeah. Uh, so back in our uh, Read Till You Puke stopover episode, uh, as we kind of tried to bridge that, that big long break we had, Colin and I listed off some books we read, talked about that for a little while, and then in our, our last episode... We did the same thing. I talked about some stuff I read. So I just want to shout out to a couple other books to kind of complete the chronology of shit I read during the break. One is a book called Back to Frank Black, A Return to Chris Carter's Millennium, which is an incredible fucking phone book sized tome of interviews and literary analysis of Millennium, the the show, the, sh- the television series, which is a extremely dark companion show to X Files. I all- really liked it. I didn't watch a lot of it, but it was really good. I, I thought I watched Millennium in my recent rewatch of the entire uh, X Files chronology, leading up to the catastrophically disappointing return of X Files. But Millennium, which I'd never seen before, has become one of my favorite television series of all time. It is absolutely incredible. We did um, an episode on the subject, actually, because Millennium briefly returned uh, in comics. 
and uh, we talked with Joe Harris, who wrote it, and the uh, the guys behind Back to Frank Black, the uh, the internet group that put out this book and did all these interviews from all the creators. And it's a hell of a tome. If if you're a it's fan, it's huge of, actually. I'm if you're a fan it. of Millennium, you absolutely have to check this book out. And all the money goes towards um, Lance Hendrickson's charity of choice. Which is himself. Those, <laughs> my charity is myself. Those tiny newsprint latest weight pages, too. Yeah. Uh, How many pages are in that, Cal? Um, it's, Holy uh, this is all about Millennium. It's only 510 with the, with the glossary. but That's more than any book I've ever read. Anyway, it's, it's great, except, like, I will say, the, the quality of content varies significantly. You'll find some totally invaluable stuff if you're a fan of the show in here. Um, and the interviews are wonderful, but uh, some of it is in the in the nature of say collegiate literary analysis, pretty reaching when it's trying to like analyze the show. In some cases, not all cases, but in some cases. So I think they could have probably cut this in half, and it would have been a better uh, compilation altogether. But it also is full of great stuff, so you can't really go wrong with it. I had after I after I watched the show, it's three seasons and has kind of a like it has an ending, but not a not one that's one hundred percent satisfying. This was the catharsis I needed, so. One, check out Millennium if you can. It's not on Netflix yet, but it's only a matter of time. And two, if you've done that already, check out Back to Frank Black. Did the Millennium happen at the end? Um, the Millennium happened during the X-Files tie-in episode, which is supposed to wrap up the series that happened during the course of X-Files, and it was wretched and completely <laughs> off-base for the show. And I recommend not even watching that episode. It's just terrible. All right. The first... Cap. Yes? Cap. Colin. I'm only interested in one Ennium. The Will Ennium? Will Ennium. You knew it. You knew it was <laughs> oh, coming. Jesus. You got that CD for your birthday. You're damn right I why did. Why you guys even... Why do you... What? How many years ago was this? When it came out at the Will Ennium. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> the Will Ennium. Is that a Will Smith CD? Yes. <laughs> it was the Millennium of Does Will have... Smith. The no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Isn't that on the Willennium? Yeah. Is that no? on the Willennium? That's the last Will Smith song I remember. The Willennium? You're actually speaking of uh, Will Smith's prior album. Um, <laughs> Big Willie Style? Yeah. It's, yeah, because Willennium, yeah. <laughs> Willennium is his follow up album yeah. from Big Willie Style, because Big Willie Style came out in 1997. You're actually thinking that was his more popular album. Willennium actually did not have very many catchy tunes. I was going to say, what's, except, the, what's the breakout single? Except, Miami, right? No, no. Really? Ugh. No, it, my, the, all that, all what you're thinking of is all on Big Willie Style. What, the, what was on Willennium? Was Wild Wild West, my friends? Oh, Wild Wild West was West. after Jiggy with it and Miami. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because that was because wasn't that, that for that movie? Yeah, because Wild Wild West was the waning point of it. It's like, ooh, Will Smith's accelerating the superstardom, and it's like, ooh, he starts making some bad decisions. What's going uh, on? You guys know he's gonna create a new album soon with DJ Jazzy Jeff this year. Is that true? Yes. Also in 2007, he had a crazy album named The Tower of Burgerack. I don't know what that means. The Tao of Burger. It's, it, it reads like the Tao of the Burger Burger Rack. Tao. Um, uh, yeah. Dao. But anyway, it's pronounced Tao though. T A O. Yeah. Well, who the fuck came up with that? Asians. Yeah. Well, it's a T. Like Ching is Q I N G. Well, that makes sense. One other another presentation of <laughs> Colin spins wildly into <laughs> conversation <laughs> topics involving pop culture we wish we could forget. In Your pop Philadelphia. culture garbage hole. <laughs> Colin needs to be on that show. Pop culture garbage hole? He probably has a room full of it. Starring <laughs> Colin, Colin Peterson. Peterson. Actually, it could, refer, it could refer to his mouth. <laughs> Colin's mouth is the pop well, culture Well, it would just be the, the, picture, the picture for the, his, his the podcast would be him with his mouth like, with, wide open. With pop and culture just... and 
refuse just and vomit raccoons coming right just out. coming right yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> raccoons. That, that is my contribution to society, friends. <laughs> we did also. We kind of did that cover already with "Read Till You Puke," but <laughs> but it wasn't with Colin's face. <laughs> <laughs> um. So just the mouth. There, you don't need the rest of his face. <laughs> th- th- there's there's a um there's a book series that if you've gone to an indie record store you may have seen a lot of volumes of. It's called Thirty Three and a Half, and it's uh basically each book delves into a specific record and i've actually never read any of them they sound fascinating and i I hope to someday but someone decided to do the exact same thing but with video games a series called boss fight books and it was a kickstarter thing and the first one is this on the subject of earthbound my favorite video game wait so it's it's on real video game stuff yes not like he made it up okay what do you mean well, you said that the 33 and a, and, a, and a half or whatever, they're all based on different records of what, though? Albums. Music records. Al- record okay. albums. Sorry, like, I, thought, like, I thought they were... They were for I, example, I they were Millennium. Books, I thought they were books about a specific topic in that universe. I didn't realize it was about an, our actual Okay. Yeah, these, these are nonfiction Sorry. books written by people I understand about, now. about music records. Okay. Yes. So, Boss Fight Books. Uh, this is Earthbound by Ken Bauman. And I, Earthbound is my favorite game, as I said. And this book was Okay. Ken Bauman is he's, he's a writer he's also um, I think he's trying to distance himself from this now but he's he's an actor as well he he played a, uh, a character in the secret life of an American teenager uh, and this book it's it's not bad in fact there's parts of it that are quite good but the thing is Earthbound itself is so fascinating such pursue the topic of Earthbound in so many different ways but this actually is maybe 50% or more a biography of him and what he was going oh, through as a kid while he was playing the game which though there are some interesting moments really wasn't interesting enough. I was going to say, what does it relate to in, in the world of the game? Like, what does it talk about? But I guess if it's just about his personal experience. Yeah, I mean, and it's he's, he's replaying the game as an adult and making comparisons and so on. And it's hard for me to distance myself as a, as a writer and a fan because I'm reading this book about on, on my favorite game and thinking, fuck, I could have done this better. I could have done this so much better. That's disrespectful to Ken and his experiences and the fact that, you know, he got there first um, <laughs> and that he's a listener to the show. But no, I mean, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't what I was looking for in an Earthbound book. And I'm not saying don't read it. It's, I actually, I thought it was quite interesting. If you like Earthbound, check it out probably because it's pretty significant that, uh, you know, that this cult classic game launched this entire ongoing series of uh, of books and this is the first english language book about earth balance ever been published so that's pretty significant in, its, in and of itself but uh, i didn't love it I, I am however really excited to check out the rest of boss fight books because there's some really cool people associated with it who are doing some very unusual things and i'm, I'm curious about stuff even about games i've never played they're not myself. all about earth but i was gonna say they're all different games <laughs> they're all different <laughs> okay. games they're all different <laughs> games very very different games hmm. not just snes era rpgs tekken though there is a chrono trigger one i don't need to read a book about chrono trigger that time has passed are you I'm sat- sure i'm satisfied there doesn't need to be an analysis unless it's a continuing story i don't need to read it now there was an episode that came out during our time off that was about cyberpunk. It was it was a Microsoft uh, listener requested topic. It was in a lot of ways like a micro nerdy show book club episode. So I wanted to point that out to everybody that you should totally check that episode out and we'll link to it on this episode's page. And in it, we discussed actually a couple books that I want to give a shout out to formally on book club. One is a collection of essays by Claire Evans uh, called High Frontiers. She's a multidisciplinary artist who's a way cool person we've had her on the show before and um in this book she talks about many technological themes but interviews some big names in cyberpunk discusses the genre 
quite a bit. I read some excerpts from it on the uh, on the episode, and it's a great collection of essays. And um, she's actually currently working on a book about the history of women in computing from the women who actually did the number crunching for mathematicians back in the day all the way up to cyber feminism of the 90s and if you want to hear more about that i recorded an entire lecture she gave at Moogfest this year um and it's one of our perks on uh on the nerdy show patreon and uh you can hear me talk about it a lot on our Moogfest episode this year so really cool person involved in really cool projects and uh when that new book comes out uh expect to hear a lot about it on nerdy show book club the other thing we mentioned was Mirror Shades, the cyberpunk anthology, and it really truly is the cyberpunk anthology. It's edited by Bruce Sterling uh, and is known far and wide as the ultimate source for getting a quick fix on what cyberpunk is, and it was a great collection of short stories. I highly recommend it. Um, we actually have an, uh, a recently released Nerdy Show perk where Brandon and I read an excerpt from it. Which is which is hilarious because I can I don't even remember that, but I I'm sure I was there. It was from a story called Snake Eyes, um, by Tom Maddox. It opens with a guy eating cat food. I I vaguely it's it sounds like a dream to me. Somebody <laughs> eating cat food. Oh, tell that, me more. That's normally your mo, Colin. Uh huh. Colin did that once in a film we made in high school. Guys, once I was at a Walmart and someone dared me to eat cat food, so I went in and bought like some Friskies and it was like a little plastic. I got the fanciest one I could find, and then I opened the top and there's like you know there's like a layer of gelatin before mm, you get to the cat food. Delicious. And I just scooped it up with my finger and ate it, and I was like, no! And then I put it down. It was disgusting. <laughs> Cats shouldn't well, eat guess, that. Guess what? I actually fucking did that from a fucking can, Brandon. Well, you're gross ass. For multiple right. takes for about an hour. <laughs> yep. I thought he was your friend, Cap. How he, could you do he that? He is my friend, and that's friendship in action. That's, that's what friends that's, do for each other. That's a one-way street of friendship. Cap, I am not your friend. <laughs> fine, Never will fine, be. My finest hour. That sounds like a one-way street of friendship. I, there was no reciprocation. You don't even know the shit I've done Where's for him. Where's the reach-around, Cap? <laughs> that's, what, that's what he's done for him. You don't even know the shit I've done for him. <laughs> <laughs> the reach-around. I can't tell if he's crying or laughing. Both. Can it be both? <laughs> Laughing. Uh, he's crying because he remembers. That's not Alicia's baby. <laughs> oh, yeah, he, he's uh, he's he's sterile, but I helped him out. Someone went spelunking in the old Colin cave. <laughs> so I read those books a long time ago. Here's the book I've been reading for an entire year, and I have not read another book since. Wait, it took, it's like oh, kind of a small book to okay. be reading for an entire no, year. No, th- this is the book I'm holding presently is not that. Book. Oh, okay. Uh, this is this is this is an important story here. I discovered this book because I was reading the back matter for the Dark Crystal creation myths. This is an incredible three-part graphic novel series that's finally done after like maybe like three or four years, uh, written by Brian Froud, the guy who conceived all the designs for Dark Crystal and worked intimately with Jim Henson to create the world. And it's great. I highly recommend Creation Myths. It's fantastic. But there's back matter in this book. And in the second volume, there's a piece written by the screenwriter, David O'Dell. And uh, he's talking about Jim Henson in here. And, and I love Jim Henson. He's like just an incredible creative figure. And I love learning new stuff about him because it's always fascinating from his um, the the short films he he's did and all kinds of stuff. He's so much more than what most people know about him. So he's talking about Jim Henson here. He says, before we started work on The Dark Crystal, he insisted I read a book called Seth Speaks. He had a lot of copies of this book and gave them away to people. He also gave a copy to Brian Froud. I was flattered that Jim wanted me to understand his spiritual insights before we collaborated. The book was written by Jane Roberts, a science fiction writer who one day began channeling Seth. 
Seth was a multi-dimensional male being outside time and space who dictated monologues on metaphysics through her when she was in a trance, while her husband wrote them down in shorthand. One of Jim's favorite lines that I wrote in the Dark Crystal script was when Augra asks Jen where his master is, and Jen says he's dead. Augra looks around suspiciously and mutters, he could be anywhere then. I couldn't have written that if I hadn't read the Seth book. The spiritual kernel of the Dark Crystal is heavily influenced by Seth. I've always felt the idea of, of a perfect being split into a good mystic part and an evil materialistic part, which are reunited after a long separation, is Jim's response to the teachings of that book. Jim admitted that he didn't understand the book himself and that everyone would understand it or not understand it in their own way. But he thought that it opened up a whole different way of looking at reality, which I think was one of his goals in making the Dark Crystal. So naturally, I tracked down that book. And I've been reading it for the past year. I'm on like... Are you in a cult now? I have maybe 10 pages (laughs) left. And it's... The reason it took so long is one, because I don't have long windows of reading particularly. I've I've read this like during lunch for the past year. Or on an airplane. Uh, I mean, granted, I've, I've, I've been reading a lot of comic books on airplanes lately, so Seth Speaks didn't get um, too much love there. Um, but I've also been making notes in the whole thing the whole time. I've been redlining this whole sucker here because it's, it's full of so much fascinating information. So I realized that Brandon's first reaction was, are you in a cult now? And that's understandable, I suppose, because this is a what would be quantified as a new age book. Um, if you look at the, the dressing for the, the paperback of it now, it's abysmal. It looks like it belongs in a church bookstore. It is truly, truly fascinating. And if you'll permit me, I'd like to get into some of the things that makes it fascinating. Can we vote? You said if we permit. So all in favor, say aye. 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 I guess, yeah, you, you're permitted. Okay. I, I just want to <laughs> say you. that I have never claimed to be institutionalized in a mental institution before, but I will say that I have met people who claim that they can channel interdimensional beings and talk to them. That's what this sounds like right here. Here's Someone the thing. Someone needs their lithium. Here is the thing about this book. There are many ways in which this could be. I am open to considering absolutely anything. This could be a work of fiction. And it could not be a work of fiction. If it is a work of fiction, it is one of the most brilliantly written works of uh, spiritual metafiction ever conceived. Well, no, I think the author generally believes it. It's so complicated. This book is explaining what is popular in quantum physics today, but at the time was well outside the known sphere of the average person or maybe even the scientific community. In fact... It, in some ways, is on the subject of simulation theory, which, of course, these days, Neil deGrasse Tyson is really into. So, um, I might need to read that book. It was a truly fascinating experience reading this. I've actually gave it to our, our, one of our SciTech hosts, John, to see what he thinks about it. And he is extremely pragmatic, so I'm very curious what his reaction is going to be. So Jane Roberts, she got into ESP. She's, she's a pretty normal person. She doesn't have a strong background in any kind of, like, she actually doesn't like Christianity. She had some very bad experiences growing up, doesn't know much about it. So she, she's not a spiritual person exactly, but she starts having these experiences and she starts channeling this entity. And there's video of it. You can watch it online. It's very different than her normal speaking voice. All the, all the mannerisms are completely different when she's channeling this voice. And it's, it's a multidimensional being who is speaking from beyond what we understand as reality giving some guidance and information on the nature of reality and how it differs from how we commonly perceive it. And what's fascinating about it is it's done in layman's terms. It's done in terms that could be more or less understood to the average person in the late 60s and early 70s when this book was written. 
there's so much complexity to these like layman explanations that it's you know how how these days we we recognize that time travel well that the time itself is not linear you don't it's not back to the future you don't go boop to the forward and boop boop past and like you know that there's that it's stacked on top of each other and that that um that the multiple realities are attributed to the success of quantum physics in some in some respects right so this book's talking about how time is nonlinear time is stacked that it's multidimensional and from a spiritual sense every person is experiencing all lives that they are that there's not like a, a cl- the, the reincarnation cycle is not as the hindu uh, belief or the or the buddhist belief i'm actually not too familiar with either so for, forgive me if i've made any mistakes there but it's not the, the typical reincarnation cycle as popularly cited in those um eastern religions there is a reincarnation cycle but all that's happening simultaneously you're living all lives simultaneously and all variations of that throughout the multiverse simultaneously i mean it's a pretty popular theory now when was this written it was uh it was first published in uh i want to say like 1972 1972. so it it was a it was a little bit ahead of its time that's what you're saying yeah well especially because of the the science involved in it and there's there's like Many fascinating quotes about, let's say, think about like the body and how complex the human body is and the, the cells, you know, die and are replaced and yet you are still you. It turns away a lot of the concepts of what people commonly understand as spirituality. Like he'll speak in terms of the soul, but but saying that the soul, I don't like the word, the term because it comes with all the baggage of what you normally consider that to mean. And that's not really how it works. Um, so I want to try to get away from that. And the book's written really weirdly, though, because it is it is dictated and it's all outlined with sessions and dates of when they happened. And in italics, there'll be mentions of like like specific things like Monday's Monday night's regularly scheduled session was postponed until tonight. Jane's pace was quite slow with many long pauses. A few are indicated in the material. Her voice is average. Her eyes were open. Were, Wait, so does it read like open. someone is taking notes on the situation? Like, well, I mean, that is, that is what happened. But what's weird is that Seth in this book says through Jane, when I make little verbal inflections and so on, don't, don't bother to record those for the, for the book. Just, you know, write the book, make your notes as you need. But he'll start um, sentences or, or begin dictation by saying the word now. Like, now let us return to our manuscript. And he, and he says at a point, don't, don't include that. I'm just saying the word now to know, so you know when I'm starting. But they included everything. They included ev- like all <laughs> kinds of Why didn't they minutia. listen to Seth? Well, and that, that's the that's He's one so of the much things. smarter like, than they like, are. Like, think about the layers of that. If this, if this, <laughs> you know, if this isn't something, you know, if they, if they 100% fabricated it, knowingly fabricated it, why would they leave that in? Because it's interesting. Because it makes you do what you're doing right now and think about it and go, Why? Making you question. Right. Well, I mean, that's, and that's the thing. Whether whether it's true or false, it's diabolical. It, it, it is a remarkable book. And I think that's that's what I want the takeaway to be here is whether you believe it or not, it's a remarkable book. And the reason I, I spent so much time making notations in it is that is that Jim Henson is right. And, and the, the screenwriter of Dark Crystal is right. Like, it is a fascinating way of looking at reality that... Um, does it make you a better, more creative writer? Yes, it absolutely does. Because it in a lot of ways, it actually emphasized the the metaphysical reality that I already felt pretty confident about. I accept that I know nothing. I accept that I could die at any moment in time, and and I'm okay with all of that. Like I know, you know, in, in the in the grand scheme of the universe, there's no conceivable way that I could have any kind of certainty in it. And in that uncertainty, I find certainty, and that's always worked for me. And this sort of emphasizes that and provides extra structure to it in a way that I'm like, this is cool because I can take like it's it's basically saying the entire universe is really fueled on creative energy. That the existence that we we exist in now is in many cases all of us sort of all agreeing upon the hallucination that we're mutually having. 
that our existence is, is a way for us to have a, experience a creative tapestry and learn together on a, on a metaphysical subconscious kind of level. That and many other concepts in here actually aid the creative process. Um, and it's hard to describe, but something we've actually breached in our most recent episode, and we've talked about intermittently in the past, is how there are authors like Neil Gaiman, Alan Moore, Grant Morrison, who all look to the act of creation as a magical experience. Like they're actually creating some kind of of mystic bond by creating the realities that they're writing in, that the act of creation in that sense is more powerful than than words on a page. I, mean, I get that because I have a similar thing with my dreams that I create because I feel like when they're like what you were saying, if they're creating something, a story, I mean, I don't know if this is where you're going with it, but that that story, that world does actually, in a sense, exist now or did somewhere in a dimension. Right. Especially being written, especially as the the author creates it Mm -hmm. and then the readers continue to interface with it and potentially invest themselves emotionally in it and maybe even build on it. See, I don't know. I don't know that things are generally created. I more believe like anything you write, do or say probably exists at some point somewhere in some dimension in some universe because if there's an infinite amount of universes every possibility exists so what you're writing might actually be the truth to a dimension that exists Uh, that's how i feel dreams work it's it's actually am i like seth uh (laughs) seth speaks on things of that nature because every time you have a dream you have to think if there's like an infinite amount of you know the multiverse that um, dream oh, exists I, I at some point. This quote. But so there's there's a quote in here where Seth says something to the effect of the dreams that you remember are much like postcards that you've written to yourself for the trips that you've just gone on as your subconscious has explored the multitude of, of spaces that it occupies. How many times do I wake up, Danica, and I'm like, oh, I feel like I've been gone a year and I had this crazy long dream and I'm I so exhausted. I think you only told me that last night the one time. Oh, well, it happens a lot. <laughs> but Alan Moore considers himself to be a ceremonial magician. And he has this great quote where he says, one word balloon in From Hell, which is a a book that he wrote, completely hijacked my life. A character says something like, the one place gods inarguably exist is in the human mind. After I wrote that, I realized I'd accidentally made a true statement, and now I have to rearrange my entire life around it. <laughs> the only thing that seemed to really be appropriate was to become a magician. That's um, really funny, actually. <laughs> Somehow that's really funny. And, and in turn, he, he adopted his own personal deity, the ancient Roman snake god Glycon, who's a second century human-headed snake god um, that was exposed as a ventriloquist dummy nearly 2,000 years ago. Um, <laughs> I love Glycon. And... And Alan Moore said, you know, it's, it's kind of a goofy, whimsical thing, but he adopted it purely as a symbol to provide him focus. You know, similarly, in the, in the pantheon of gods, like the ancient Egyptians, for example, had, had so many deities that expressed attributes that they found admirable, they would use their worship of that deity as a personal focus for them. And there's plenty of ways for, obviously, people to take the crazy things that priests say and the interpretations of, of gods from others as poisonous doctrines. But when you're when you're providing a focus towards, let's say, something really specific, like whatever Alan Moore puts into Glycon, for example, then that gives him as an in, as an individual focus. It's, it's so th- I, I, I'm kind of like rambling at this point, but there's lots of really cool stuff in this book. And if you're a creative person, I who who makes like some kind of art on the regular, I would highly recommend checking it out. What it's, about someone like me who doesn't make art on the regular? Well, Should I read it? May, you might find it fascinating at the very least. Maybe because, we'll get Seth and I get I mean, along. You enjoy reading science stuff, right? I mean, if it's cool. And this this has some interesting takes on things that are right now extremely prevalent in the sciences. And, you know, the possibility that when... when see, the thing is, when Neil deGrasse Tyson and other uh, visionaries like him, you know, say start talking about simulation theory... And you think, well, God, if the universe is a simulation, if Elon Musk is saying that it's likely that our universe is a 
a simulation that we're that some other version of ourselves are running to explore the past and they're saying well how you know how they kind of believe that's true because it's based on a percentage like kind of likely that we would reach that point in technology where such a thing would be viable to run a simulation that good based on the acceleration of our own technology that we've seen well if you look at the stuff that's being discussed in seth speaks it's kind of like he's saying we're running the simulation ourselves that's the trick it's not us in the future it's us right now in the existence that we that we carry at this moment throughout time across multi-dimensions. What's fascinating is, I don't know if you've ever read this article, but there was, a, I think, a German scientist not too long ago that when they were trying to find, I think, that had um, the Higgs boson, they said they found microscopic particles that resembled or simulated that of a holographic projection. Like, yeah. Like as if we exist on a 2D space somewhere else, but are being proje- our whole universe is being projected like a holograph for someone to view as if... I don't know if that's true, but well, that's and what I there read. Also, there are also particles that, they've, that they discovered with the Higgs boson. These might be the same ones, where they only exist if people look at them. Well, yeah. There's there's stuff in this book that kind of talks about that. He talks about how... how it's su- just science we don't know, there, understand <laughs> fully yet, and this but is, we'll this get is there. A, this is a perfect Lynchian kind of thing. He says, like, there are some missing persons cases that could be solved if only if only you knew that the person simply ceased to exist. <laughs> <laughs> so one one final note on, on Seth is that Seth made a point of saying, I'm only going to speak through Jane. I'm not, I, I want, you know, this to be considered, I know this is going to be hard for people to even consider that, that my existence is a real thing. So I'm only going to speak through Jane, and when she's dead, that's it. Why can't he speak through someone else just to prove it? Like, here, let me jump into this guy real quick, and then well, you'll who know. Would, why would anybody believe it? He's saying, I'm only going to speak through Jane, those are the limitations, and that's that's it. You know, and that's how you'll know that what? it's authentic. Because if, if, anybody could say that Seth is saying anything. And funny that he should say that because if you if you look up Seth online, you're gonna find a lot of garbage. There's Uh, like people who claim that Seth is back. Yeah, like like some some guys channeling Seth, saying like, "Oh yes, I've spoken to Jane and and her husband Robert, and she they reside with Seth in the Mansion Worlds." Like, no. Can we have a video game about (laughs) Seth in the Mansion Worlds? (laughs) Sounds great. No, like it's weird because like you're they're adopting Seth's teachings, I guess, as a religion, which it's not. Um, which is the abs- never happened it's the before. absolute antithesis of what he was saying in this book. He talks about religion on metaphysical terms and describes how I mean that what he's talking about is not a religion. There's there's some stuff like if you if you start looking into it, there's you're gonna see some weird stuff, but there's actually lots of counterpoints to it in the book. And then also there's some some stuff in the book that's perhaps the hardest to swallow is when he starts talking about uh, civilizations that predated humanity, um, Atlantis, and other. Well, I I vaguely remember recently that someone said, and maybe this was false cause, or a dream, where they <laughs> they dug down really, really, really far into the desert and found like a layer of, of of glass fused together, which could only be made by like a large bomb or nuclear weapon. But I also think meteors can do that. That like was another civilization, but that was a complete fake thing, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. Didn't we mention that? Uh, that somewhere? was that was we yeah that came up on uh, on an episode, uh, the our, our Terra Enigma episode, mm. which uh, will be out That's by the right. time you you hear this. So you should check it out on. Uh, a, a, a discussion on the topic of one of the great lost role-playing games of the 1990s. Um, and uh, that that actually was... I don't know if that was ever disproven, but to my knowledge, that was not disproven. I don't know if it was um, ever proven. But there's, <laughs> the, but when Seth starts talking about these ancient civilizations and stuff, I'm like, how could this even exist? Then he actually has a pretty good explanation for uh, for why why we wouldn't have discovered that sort of stuff. I guess that's all I have to say on the topic. There's so much more I could say, but I'll, I'll pull it there because it's been a long topic. And now, after I'm mm. done with this, I get to read other stuff, like the final uh, volume of Berserk and other things I've been putting off. I was like, the anime? or No, no, no the, the, other the Michael okay. Grant book. That's right. Um, so let's take this moment now as we're segueing into another part of Book Club to talk about you, our amazing 
friends, listeners, and in some case, backers. We are an entirely listener-supported podcast, and we rely on you to keep this and all the shows in the Nerdy Show Network alive. If you go to nerdyshow.com support, you'll find all the ways you can help out the show, including buying stuff on Amazon. If you follow the links on this episode's page or just buy anything through our Amazon links, you can fund Nerdy Show Book Club and all the shows on the Nerdy Show Network. If you subscribe on Patreon, we have a ton of extra book club content for you on there, all kinds of extra readings and weird stuff and outtakes. And you can also do one-time donation and without spending any money whatsoever, you can rate and review us on iTunes, and that would be a huge help because currently, Nerdy Show Book Club's solo feed, it only has six ratings and no reviews. Which we know more than six people listen to it. It hasn't been in its own stream for very long, and of course, we've been on hiatus for a long time, so it's pretty understandable. But if you want to give Nerdy Show Book Club some love and need to give us a boost, that would be huge. So we would really, really appreciate that. And if love you Love me. <laughs> and if you if you leave any uh, reviews we'll read them on the show so uh consider doing that please now before we dip into armada uh let's have a little fun brandon there's a box here i'd like you to to open up this box um oh, no. what's in the box there's gonna be spiders um, can i take the th- fish instead this says uh this is from uh i'd like jameson cake, please aka covered wagon kid he says nerdy crew Please enjoy this box of miscellaneous books that should elicit, oh, gods, and what the fuck? Oh, you need a video for this. We don't have a video for Well, you. just describe what you're seeing. Um, I lifted what looks like a giant Ninja Turtles puzzle. Is it a puzzle or a book? It's a puzzle. Okay. It's one of those chunky a, puzzles. There's a massive puzzle of Ninja Turtles eating pizza. This is, uh, well, you shouldn't go through this one by one because there's a lot of stuff in there. I, just, I didn't know what you want from me. There's just, just there's a ton of books, Cap. What do you want me to do? Start pulling stuff out and reacting to it and share it with Denica because she's over on the other side of the table oh. and she... She needs she needs Here some stuff. Go. Everyone grabs some um, shit. This is like it's like Jameson's Ooh. entire uh, childhood. <laughs> I have a Lego catalog uh, feel, back in the day. I feel kind of dirty going through someone's childhood box. Oh. I'll go through your childhood box. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. We've got, I, didn't, I didn't know there was oh my a, God. a Lego Builders Club. Donkey Kong Country, Rumble in the Jungle. I that, think I had that's this a, one. That's a junior junior novel. Ooh. It's got some CG Are you on afraid the of the dark books? Oh, here. Are you afraid of the dark? Oh, my God. There's a novelization of Jingle All the Way starring Sinbad and um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Ooh, the Tale of the Virtual oh Nightmare for, yeah. our, for our next cyberpunk edition. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> hey, are you afraid of the dark? I loved that show. I need the Turbo so. Man doll. Get me the Turbo Man. <laughs> oh, God. How does he speak that way? <laughs> what, is he from another country or a good voice oh, actor? more Lego Builders Club. <laughs> Guys, we've got Sonic the Hedgehog, Robotnik's Revenge. Who's the hot bunny on the front? I forget. It's bunny Rabot. Duh. That's literally her name? Yes. That's probably why I didn't remember it. Okay. Look at that. It's got all the hottest Sonic characters. I don't even... All the hottest ones. I don't even know what half this Lego shit Let's is. Let's get that bunny with the cybernetic legs. Brandon, that's Bunny Rabot again. Oh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> I think you're talking about Princess Sally and Anton if you like little mustaches. Um, or uh, that walrus guy if you're into walruses. Shaquille O'Neal, wow. Sports Illustrated for kids. It's just an entire book and pictures of Shaquille O'Neal. So there's some great stuff in here. Thank you so much for sending this box of childhood wonderment. And right now, we're going to do a reading from uh, from a junior novelization that I picked out last night. Uh, Brandon, oh, sweet you wanna... baby Yeah, I would, Jesus. except that there's Masters of the Universe and Tiny Toon Adventures books right here. So, so. You, you're telling me you don't want to read... Oh, for fuck's sake. The novelization of the Mortal Kombat film as written for 11-year-olds? Oh, God. I say, I... that looks like it's got like five pages in it. It and, is. And, um... then, and then Scorpion proclaimed, 
Get over here. It's the entire movie in 57 <laughs> pages with huge font. I mean, Here's really, only 57 yeah, pages, that, you could totally. Right? You could do that. You could totally do that movie in 57 well, pages. What I'd, what I'd like How to do much is are you I'd, making us I'm, read? I'm sure there's an adult version of this, and I'd like to compare and contrast. Because, man, I read this in, like, no time last night. It was, it was man, just breeze. It was a breeze. But I can't wait to dig into these more. Look forward to it in future Nerdy Show Book Club readings. That night, there was a feast in the Great Hall on the island. Drums beat fiercely. Welcome, Shang said. You are here to compete in mortal combat, the greatest of all tournaments. You should be proud. Each one of you has been chosen for your excellence, your skill, and your courage. You are the best fighters of your generation. Worthy to represent the realm of Earth and the realm of Outworld. Tomorrow morning, Shang continued, <laughs> the great tournament begins. Your opponents will be chosen by the lot. The winners of each combat will progress to the next until only one remains. Some of you will even have the privilege of fighting Prince Goro, the reigning champion. <laughs> You are all witnesses to the great turning point in the history of the world. Treasure these moments if they were your last. And now, a taste of things to come. A strange creature walked into the hall. It was dressed in strange bionic armor, which covered its entire body, while a helmet of bone covered its face and head. The Outworld warrior whirled a long spear through the air with a swishing sound. When it came to the center of the Great Hall, it gave a loud cry of defiance. Down from the dais came a ninja dressed in black and blue. This was Sub-Zero, one of Shang Tsung's servants. The creature and the ninja faced one another in the center of the hall. The creature shook its lance and prepared to strike. The ninja merely stood in a defensive stance but a faint blue light began to glow around his hand. All at once, the creature charged Sub-Zero. The creature jumped at the ninja. Sub-Zero raised one of his hands. A blast of pure cold shot out, striking the creature in mid-air. Then, the ninja jumped aside. The creature hit the floor and shattered. It broke into a thousand tiny frozen pieces. The demon sorcerer stood watching in silence from the high table. Sub-Zero wins. Fatality. Flawless victory, Shang said. From his seat in the Great Hall, Johnny sat and stared. The creature had smashed to pieces right next to him. Come to a little tournament, the man says. Johnny muttered. Be good for the career, he says. Shang Tsung stood and walked from the hall. Two ninjas walked behind him. As soon as Shang had passed by them, Lu stood and began to follow the evil magician. Though, where are you heading? Johnny asked. He caught Lu's arm to stop him from going anywhere. I'm going after Shang Tsung, Lu said in a reasonable tone of voice. No, you can't, Johnny said. Remember what Raiden told you? Oi, Raiden didn't say anything to me, Sonya said. She also stood and turned in the direction the sorcerer had gone. Shang Tsung knows where Kano's hiding, the young woman said, and strode out of the hall. Johnny watched her go. You gotta admire her, he said, when she sets her mind on something. 
It's not her mind you're admiring. <laughs> Lou interrupted with a smile. I'm gonna follow her, Johnny said. She might need help. Johnny started after Sonia. Lou shrugged, then hurried to catch up with the actor. Lou and Johnny left the Great Hall together. Shang Tsung walked through the garden full of statues. This time, he took a different path, one which led him to a high cliff. In the base of the cliff, there was a tunnel leading into the black depths of the realm of Shokan. Torches burned on either side of the tunnel opening. Shang and his two ninjas entered the tunnel, not looking back. Sonya was hiding near the tunnel mouth, using her army skills to follow Shang Tsung <laughs> without being seen. Army skills? She spotted Johnny and Lu and stopped them from entering the tunnel after Shang and the ninjas. What you be doing here? Sonya asked. Oh, we're helping you, Johnny said. How many times do I have to tell you? Sonya hissed. I need your help. I'll take care of myself. We can't help it. It's a guy thing, Johnny replied. What are you doing? Sonya asked, turning to Lou. I'm following him, Lou replied. He pointed in the direction Shang had gone. I work alone, Sonya said. General Cao is mine, <laughs> Lou said. Without another word, he entered the tunnel and vanished in the dark. Sonya followed Lou in. A moment later, Johnny picked up one of the torches, which burned beside the tunnel's entrance, and followed the other two. The inside of the tunnel opened out to a wide cavern. The floor was a maze of pathways between deep cracks. The torch Johnny was carrying provided the only light for the three companions. Suddenly, the torch began to flicker. How can you possibly know where you're going? Sonya asked Johnny. You can't even keep the torch lit. What do you mean? Johnny replied. The torch is fine. The torch is going out. Sonya told him. The torch gave another flicker. It was burning with a low blue flame. It's not gonna go out, Johnny said confidently. You want me to carry the torch? Sonya asked. No, I don't want you to carry the torch. Let me carry it. The torch is fine. Give it uh, to me. Sonya tried to grab the torch. Instead, she knocked it out of Johnny's hand. The torch fell into one of the crevices between the pathways. Ah, oh, you lie me, cunt. <laughs> It fell for a long time. Its light grew dim, then went out. A long time after that came the sound of the torch hitting the bottom. Face it, we're lost, Sonya said. When you get to know me better, Johnny said, you realize that I never get lost. I never have to ask for directions, and I always find a parking spot. Usually there's money in the meter. What am I reading? What is this shit? Some bullshit. <laughs> you, know, you, like, Morgan... you like my improv, limey cunt? <laughs> yeah, I liked it. <laughs> if Morgan Freeman were reading this, I'm just saying. Morgan Combat. <laughs> and then using her army. Morgan so, Freeman her Combat. army skills. Finish him. Okay. I like using okay, her so army. You, are you ready? Are you ready for some another um, pop culture garbage? <laughs> Please Out of your garbage hole? Yeah, out of my garbage hole. All right, so... It's really interesting that this is the novelization of the film, considering the fact that obviously it was probably came from the original script. Mm -hmm. And when they were describing a strange creature that stalked into the hall, it was dressed in strange bionic armor and was covered in an entire body. Yeah, that wasn't in the I, film. No, well, in the movie, it was the per the person that Sub Zero killed was just some random like a soldier. black dude. But that was yeah, like Cyrax or one of those. Dude who was very excited, but yeah, no, Cyrax came in the second. I think mm -hmm. the second movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, I don't remember him being in this at all. So this has got. Yep. I didn't. I didn't verify. Thank you for verifying. And also, I believe they spelled Raiden wrong throughout the book. Oh, how did they spell it? R a y d e n. Yeah, it's R a i. Like, eh, tomato, tomato, orange potato. 
All right, before we talk about Armada, I've got one final notification. I want you guys to know about a new show we have on the Nerdy Show Network called Bad Storytellers. It's one of two brand new podcasts created by Josh LaForge from Ghostbusters Resurrection with co-host Doug, who you probably know from Nerdy Show and Ghostbusters and a bunch of other stuff here on the network. Bad Storytellers is a show about writers and writing. They're all in a writing group. They read material that they've written and critique each other's work and talk about the pop culture that they've been consuming all in the advancement of becoming better writers. And then at the end of every episode, they roll a D20 to create randomly generated genres for a film that they write on the spot and record a trailer for it's a great show it's new to the nerdy show network and there's also a related series with the same cast called rpg from scratch where that same team takes on the chore of building a tabletop role-playing system from the ground up and eventually it's even going to include some test plays with some of the uh you know, improv hijinks that you may be familiar with from other role-playing shows on nerdy show uh, so check both of those out at nerdyshow.com. Now on to Armada. We're going to talk about it without spoilers at first, and then we'll do a little bit at the end where it's mostly spoilers. But we'll definitely let you know when that's about to happen. Let's kick it off, guys. I, I think it's no surprise from our reactions earlier in the episode that we did not at all like this book one little well, bit. Actually, um, I can explain exactly how I felt about the book. You know the scene in Princess Bride where the the woman who's going to become queen or whatever, she has a dream sequence where she comes out as the queen and a woman's like, boo, queen of garbage, queen <laughs> of refuse, queen of filth. That that's, Tracy Ullman? Yeah, that's that's pretty much um, my reaction <laughs> to well, this book. I'm sure Ernest Cline would love that reference. And I'm really sorry, Ernest <laughs> Cline. He totally would. I just, it just fell short of my expectations by, you know, all of them. Here's, here's what I, th- I think maybe the best example of how Armada fell short would be if we read you the very beginning of the book. So we should just start by reading the first, like, page or two. Yeah. Chapter one. I was staring out the classroom window and daydreaming of adventure when I spotted the flying saucer. I blinked and looked again, but it was still out there. A shiny chrome disc zigzagging around in the sky. My eyes struggled to track the object through a series of increasingly fast, impossibly sharp turns that would have juiced a human being. Had there been any aboard? The disc. <laughs> the disc screeched up toward the distant horizon, then came to an instantaneous stop just above it. It hovered there motionless over the distant tree line for a few seconds, as if scanning the area beneath it with an invisible beam. Before it abruptly launched itself skyward again, making another series of physic-defying changes to its course and speed. I tried to keep my cool. I tried to remain skeptical. I reminded myself that I was a man of science, even if I did usually get a C in it. I looked at it again, and I still couldn't tell what it was. But I knew what it wasn't. It wasn't a meteor. Or a weather balloon. Or swamp gas. Or ball lightning. No, the unidentified flying object I was staring at with my own eyes was most definitely not of this earth. My first thought was, holy fucking shit! 
followed immediately by... I can't believe it's finally happening! You see, ever since the first day of kindergarten, I had been hoping and waiting for some mind-blowingly fantastic, world-altering event to finally shatter the endless monotony of my public education. I had spent hundreds of hours gazing out at the calm, conquered suburban landscape surrounding my school, silently yearning for the outbreak of a zombie apocalypse, a freak accident that would give me superpowers, or perhaps the sudden appearance of a band of time-traveling kleptomaniac dwarves. I estimated that approximately one-third of these dark daydreams of mine had involved the unexpected arrival of beings from another world. Of course, I never believed it would really happen. Even if alien visitors did decide to drop by this utterly insignificant little blue-green planet, no self-respecting extraterrestrial would ever pick my hometown of Beaverton, Oregon, a.k.a. Yonsville, USA, as their point of first contact. Not unless their plan was to destroy our civilization by wiping out our least interesting locales first. If there was a bright center of the universe, I was on the planet that was farthest from. <laughs> Please pass the blue milk, Aunt Baru. Oh, <laughs> but now, something miraculous was happening here. It was still happening right now. There was a god damn flying saucer out there and I was staring right at it and I was pretty sure it was getting closer the saucer banked sideways for a few seconds and I got my first clear glimpse of its top down profile and I saw it wasn't really a saucer at all from this angle I could see the symmetrical hull resembled the blade of a two-headed battle axe and that black octagonal prism centered between the long serrated wings glinting on the morning sunlight like a dark jewel. That was when my brain began to short circuit. Batteries not included because <laughs> there was no mistaking the craft's distinctive design. After all, I've seen it almost every night for the past few years through targeting reticule. I was looking at a Sobrukai Glaive, one of the fighter ships piloted by the alien bad guys in Armada, my favorite video game. Which was, of course, impossible. Like seeing a TIE fighter or a Klingon warbird cruising across the sky. The Sobrakai and their Glaive fighters were fictional video game creations. They didn't exist in the real world. They couldn't. In reality, video games did not come to life and fictional starships did not buzz your hometown. Implausible shit like that only happened in cheesy 80 movies like Tron or War Games or The Last Starfighter. The sorts of movies my late father had been nuts about. Yeah, thanks Colin. That was a beautiful read. So that was some excerpts from the first couple pages of uh, of Armada. That's the that's the gist of it. And I'll, I'll say I was really rooting for Ernest Klein. I really thought 
I had low expectations for Ready Player One. It seemed like it was it was really pandering pop culture exploitation for for nerds of like I'm gonna reference stuff you like and here it is. And then he he charmed me by taking all that pop culture exploitation and making it not pandering, making it actually a compelling story that was fueled by pop culture. But unfortunately, with Armada, he tries to do exactly the same thing as he did before, and it doesn't work at all. Mm-mm. No, he. It's weird because he wah, wah. he vaguely mentions a lot of cheesy '80s movies, and then blatantly, like his own ideas are basically borderline plagiarizing their ideas. Well, like, also at the same time, though, I mean, like Ready Player One had a perfect vehicle for it. Right, like, like Ready that, Player One made sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. Th- this one is just yeah, like, like, remember this movie? Remember this movie? Let me hit you over the head for the fact that I'm a nerd every page and that you were a nerd yeah. too. But also too, I, I really felt like <clears throat> I love Ready Player One. It is one of my favorite books. I mean, truly. And this is such, it was so disappointing to me that it made me feel like this book was actually written by Ernest Klein and the other book <laughs> Ghostwriter. Somebody else. Ghost no, really. Writer. Like this, Armada feels like it was written by somebody who was trying to write like Ernest Klein from Ready Player One. <laughs> it just feels like fucking artist style fan fiction. He's like, right. That's why it feels like it, it. 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 It's just so poorly written. As soon as I got through the first chapter, first couple chapters, I just I was so sad and so downtrodden because of this book like it's just i wanted it to be so i wanted that that magic that feeling that ready player one had where you were reading and you're like oh man yeah i remember that that's great not even in the sense of like hey i want to revisit my childhood with 80s and 90s and early aughts references and stuff like that i i want to just have a good time and have fun and this just it's just not. Yeah, and every every part of this story and every plot mechanism that you either see or don't see coming is completely from something else. There's not an original bone in this book's body at all. And, and well, the funny thing is, is that you start the the book lost me immediately with its all the stuff that Colin so expertly read there of those terrible, terrible like name drops to Star Wars and time bandits and then just when he starts listing things oh and he mentions like contact and ender's game and he uses things from all of them but here's here's the, the part where it does actually recover at some <clears throat> point because then then you realize after a while of like where is he going with this what is this weird wish fulfillment i get it ernest klein you wish this was you okay <laughs> and then it then it turns around and it's like oh no he's actually been he's analyzing pop culture of from 1970 something to present as all having been clues for the government psychologically preparing us for an alien invasion that they had all many details on and were trying to do what they could to cushion Amer- uh, the universe, the uh, Earth, for the blow of that of that knowledge. Yeah, I thought that and, was ridiculous. And, I didn't like that. And I actually thought that that was a good turnaround, except that it still didn't save it from how poorly written it was. Well, let's get the premise of this book for the folks who haven't read it and like have no idea what we're talking about mm-hmm. and have no interest in reading it. Like, what is the pro- plot of this book? Uh, the Last Starfighter meets Ender's Game. The plot meets is contact. that there's a bored teenager in high school whose father allegedly died in an accident when he was a small child. And he was like a janitor or something. Yeah, he was his like father a, well, who was he, a gamer though, an avid gamer. Yeah, his father who was an avid gamer collected all this stuff, had all was a video game obsessive 80s pop movie obsessive person 
kept all this stuff and the kid idolized this idea of this nerdy father, which is just kind of weird to begin with, I guess. But I guess that's a trope you see a lot, though, in in books and things where if a kid's parent has died, they idolize the idea of that person or whatever, Hmm. which in itself, while it's a trope, doesn't have to be horrible. But like you said, like it just it doesn't pay off. You don't care in the end. You, know, you don't yeah. really care a lot in this book. Yeah. But basically, well, yeah, so the, the kid is obsessed with all this stuff and then he sees, as Colin read, yeah. spaceships and things from his favorite video game and mayhem ensues. He plays a lot of video games. and <laughs> Yes, then, his favorite video game, the name yeah. of the book. And it turns out that the all that shit is just is preparation for this incoming invasion and that he is, and, and practicing on those video games has been all just training. training it's of, training. You know, thousands of gamers around the world to take control of drones and fight the oncoming alien invasion. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this entire book takes place over a matter of, I think, one or two days, literally. It's a, it's like one Something day from like the that, point yeah. where he gets like to, to from training to combat, like, and then the rest of the story takes place in that same day. It's almost as if he was writing one the day. book... I don't know if he started writing it while he was writing Ready Player One or if it was only after Ready Player One was a success, but it's almost like he was trying to write this book so that it would be a movie. Since Ready Player One's already been optioned. It does sound like that. Like he he wrote this so poorly. It's written like one like that Mortal Kombat book, like based (laughs) on the the screenplay. Don't insult Mortal Kombat. Like that's That's how it's written. It's poorly fleshed out. It's boring. It's (laughs) I found the book insulting and I found it insulting because like I said, he keeps mentioning references to pop culture and 80s and 90s things that we all know, uh, especially if you're even a little bit nerdy, you'll know most of these references and he just keeps hammering them over and over. And I'm like, I get it. Don't insult me. Write something else. But he doesn't. It's like when Chris Hardwick does quote unquote stand up or what he considers to be stand up <laughs> and he gets up on the stage and he's like Star Wars am I right and the whole audience goes Woo! yeah you're pandering to me fuck and then it's like hey Doctor Who am I right and they're like fuck yes yes and I, I <laughs> that been, is what this whole book is I've been, right. in, I've been in one of these shows it was emotionally crippling for me I'm like I'm proud of the pop culture that I love and I love sharing pop culture with people and there's just there's a line that you cross though when you just you just dangle it in front of like hey we all get the reference and it's not you're not doing anything clever with it you're not I don't know I wasn't sure who the book was for because it's written like it's for a younger audience except it's for only people in their 30s quote unquote young young (laughs) adult but what fucking 16 year old is going to get the time bandits reference yeah in the very first like like two paragraphs or know what ender's game is i mean maybe there's some but ender's game to. i could see a little more i feel like i'm sorry time you think bandits a 16 year old is a, time is a little more obscure <laughs> you think yeah. a 16 year old has read or seen the movie for contact no well yeah and what's funny is it like like uh, carl sagan's contact is is a huge part of this story and he's just straight up Saying like, what if that was true? <laughs> like, what and if then it, what if contact is, yeah. wasn't a book? Yeah. Like, but I guess my point in saying like I don't know who it's written for is because yeah. it's 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 written in in a language like for young adults, it, yeah, younger like, younger adults in a shitty right. way that'd be easy for young young adults to read. But it's got a bunch of and, pop culture audiences for are thirty and forty year olds. Old. And, yeah. and, and, the, and the high school angst and monotony that it opens with was so wretched. And yeah. like well, the sort of thing where I read that, I'm like, I don't want to go back to even reading about someone feeling this way yeah well, yeah saying? i mean like cap we were texting back and forth and one of the things that i remember us talking about was how like 
once the story picked up, which it takes a while for it to get out of Lightman's. Zach Lightman, the main character, by the way, we didn't yeah. say his name. Zach right. Lightman. Uh, to get rid of, to get out of Zach Lightman's, like, you know, really start on his adventure of him joining the, what is it, Earth Defense Alliance? Yeah, the um, EDA. EDA. And, you know, really like, EDA. EDA. We need John Laval. EDA. Get in the game. All right, quick, quick thing, quick story. Uh, we were going to the um, <laughs> to the Sony press conference like several years ago. Oh, I ago, love this story. And and <laughs> John John Laval, I guess I forget if he, I think he had his pass to get into the conference, or he and, forgot it, or something, or, or something. And he's and he's talking to the guy. They're kind of like fussing over like credentials. And he's like, "Do you know who I am?" And he's like, and, he, and then he does his impersonation of the EA Sports because EA Sports, it's in the game. And the guy's like, "Oh, sir, I'm so sorry." <laughs> <laughs> like, like he was spot on and the guy literally thought and then John Laval being nice was like no 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 I'm not really I'm but, with you, man. but you should let me in I think he let him in didn't he he did yeah wow thank god I wasn't a crazy person but yeah <laughs> anyway continue so. <laughs> but yeah so once that picks up and we start heading off in that direction the book gets better but he just doesn't know how to write a real world he doesn't know how to because this people? is set in the real world our our real world relatively current times whereas with ready player one it's in the near future and so really interesting and different ideas of how that future exists and and even though we are going through this this protagonist who is an outsider and then becomes a, an insider and it's the exact same premise the writing for the real world, he doesn't know how to write mundane. He doesn't know how to write mundane stories. Like, you know what I mean? Like he doesn't know how yeah. to write everyday life. I mean, it's ridiculous, know? isn't it? Because uh, you know, or make that interesting. Like his mon- the, the everyday life is boring, and mm-hmm. so everyday life is boring in this book. Like that's the way you know. It, he doesn't find the interesting parts of everyday life. Yeah, it's, and ready. God, it's boring. In Ready Player One, you're right. He does paint an interesting picture of the world, like the people living in like the stacked up like garbage trailer like homes and all this shit and he paints the entire world and you remember it it's creative and then you get to this book and there's just there's no world building or just descriptions that you even care about well not even world building but like i remember ready player one making an emotional connection with that character in the in the world yeah uh, not trailer but whatever we're calling like they're stacked trailer homes basically there was there was tension in that book there was there was an emotional connection there is absolutely positively no fucking point in Armada where I felt any emotion about any Uh-oh. goddamn character ever. Character. But there's a MacGuffin. Period. There's a MacGuffin and an Ex Machina. And a- <laughs> <laughs> Dude, seriously. You, you want literary devices? It's got all the literary devices. Seriously, there's one character, I don't care if this is a spoiler, who literally, no matter what situation, will show up and save the day through skills that no one should have within a day. Just magic, magic powers to do anything to solve any situation. And this Where's the Mary Sue? Up. But we'll talk about it later, I guess. I, I, I feel like the Zach Lightman is a is a Gary he, Stu. He, for, he is a Gary without question. Zach Lightman. So here's with the Nerdy Show community read-alongs. We invite everybody listening to read along with us. We actually didn't get much. I know a lot of people did actually end up checking this book out. We didn't get much written replies to share on the show. So when it comes, they couldn't. They couldn't. <laughs> Maybe they were afraid to be mean. Wanna, or they didn't want to attribute any more like thought process to this book. <laughs> I wouldn't blame them. Or it's been like um, two years. But if you're reading Hands Ma- Handmaid's Tale along with us, please do uh, post in the Nerdy Show forums or wherever you care to in, in the Nerdy Show field. Handmaid, handmaid, handmaid Tales. tales. As well. <laughs> handmaid Tales. 
Uh, uh, which will be the title of the next episode by margaret asswood <laughs> she's gonna be offended now um um so but we, we did hear from jeffrey mcsorley and michael rodriguez on the nerdy show lounge which is the place where all the cool kids hang out if you're giving it ten dollars or more on patreon we have a private facebook group where all the nerdy show hosts are there and fans and uh we Share a lot of stuff, and it's a fun, cool place to for friends where friends could chill. <laughs> <laughs> this little in joke just for me and Colin. <laughs> uh, so Jeffrey McSorley said, uh, "I just finished the Nerdy Show Book Club book Armada. Two things: the main character was too much like me in high school, and the ending was very shoehorned slash cliche and took me out of oh, things, God. leading me up to it. So I guess I would give it like a seven out of ten or so. Good, but not great." But wasn't so bad. I'd give it a rotten rating. Definitely prefer my Neil Gaiman. I did finish the book, so you know it held my interest somehow. I still finished. It, it. wasn't because you had to, because for me it was because I had to. Oh, yep. <laughs> uh, I think it picked up enough that it was it was easy enough to get through. I it wasn't like I actually had the most trouble trying to get through the first, like the part oh. that 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 Colin read, as opposed to the yeah. rest of the book. Well, I mean, once once it does pick up, and it really does pick up, yeah. then it's like, by comparison, you're like, whoa, it got so much better. Yeah, <laughs> but I did, only by comparison. I did want to know, I guess the reason I even finished it was like, I wanted to know what happened at the end. Like, how does this even get solved in this book? I was like, like how? is this really this bad in all the, last, the way through? Yeah. In the last 30 pages, how do they fix everything? Like, right. Oh. And there's also like this overarching potential for a conspiracy. Like a theory, twist yeah. that you're not mm-hmm. sure about. Has, you want to know if that's going to come to fruition or not. Michael Rodriguez followed up to uh, Jeffrey's comment. He said, I'll probably be one of the few people in this particular group that flat out disliked Armada and was fairly underwhelmed by Ready Player One. Flat out disliked Armada. You're among friends. But yeah, I I liked Ready Player One. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just feel like too much time is spent on obscure, nerdy and 80s references and not enough time on just good storytelling, which is fucking true. And Jeffrey McSorley followed that up with, that was one of my problems, too. But I knew that was his thing and ignored it for the most part. I never read Ready Player One either. So let's just say I have less reason to after this. Might see the movie, but not going to read the book if it's more of the same. No, it's not. You should read Ready, Ready Player One. It literally, we just said earlier, yes. it seems like these are written by two completely you different people. You should set people. Armada on fire and then actually read Ready Player One. Yeah, like if Hitler was burning books, he would burn Armada and look at Ready Player One and go, oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> he'd burn it later, but he'd read it first. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was that an Italian accent? <laughs> it's all right. Wow, Kyle. Brandon, that would be the quote that we pull out for the dust jacket. <laughs> like that would be from Nerdy Show Book Club. Yeah, that, that's the like, pull quote. Yeah, that's a pull quote. Yeah, yeah if, if you know, if Hitler was burning books. <laughs> He'd read it first. Yeah. He would look at it and go, oh, interesting, read it first. And then he would, of course, burn it. Obviously. Set it on fire. Yeah. Obs, Hitler. Yeah. So, Brandon Gerson, Nerdy Show Book Club. Do we even want to get into a spoiler discussion? Because, I mean, we can, we can... Yes, because I want to talk about how absurd some of the plot points are that I, right. I hate. All right, so from, from this point <laughs> It'll forward... It'll be short. If uh, you care to read Armada, then this is the point where we're going to say, see you later, and uh, read Handmaid's Tale, or The Handmaid Tale, sorry. Um... <laughs> Uh, but if if you if you don't care about reading this wretched book, then you should uh, come on, follow us past the spoiler wall, and uh, we'll tell you about all the other things that it got wrong. And and again, like I was really rooting for Ernest Klein, I really was. But fuck if he didn't let me down, man. Sometimes lightning doesn't strike twice, Cap. Oh, can't it can't rain all the time though, Brandon? 
Are we in spoiler country yet? We are. We've oh, been there. shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were waiting for you, Brian. Can we talk about um, the female character he meets? I think Alex, or he calls Lex. Lex. Yeah. yeah. So let me get this straight. They get whisked away by the EDA. They sit in an auditorium for like a few hours watching a video. They're giving an alien device that's been retrofitted or turned into smartphones, like they reverse engineered it. <laughs> Within like five minutes, she learns how to completely hack this device, this super advanced alien technological smartphone device. And for the rest of the book, anytime there's a situation where you're like, there's no way they're getting out of it. She shows up, uses the device to solve any problem. She can hack anyone's phone. She can find anyone's location. She can make it so the government can't listen to you. you. She can make it so you can listen to them without them knowing. Like She can do anything with this device and it's not explained how this one person in the entire world just figured out how to hack this device in literally like an hour. Because the, the whole book takes place from when they get the, that device in the same fucking day. There's no one on the earth can do that. No one at Apple can do that. Bill Gates can't do that. Well, not anymore. Uh, Steve Jobs couldn't do that. Well, not anymore. Wait, which one's a lie? Anyway, so, yeah, it, I thought that, did anyone else find that completely frustrating where she just oh, solves it, every situation? Lex, Lex was like, <clears throat> I just hacked into all the drones on the moon and helped out for no reason. Lex was the perfect girl, right? She, like, it's, she, she's the object yeah, of, of Lightman's desires. She's got an attitude. And she's the deus ex machina of his desires. The MacGuffin. And the MacGuffin of his desires. She's nerd dream girl, and the fact that she can hack anything and do anything. She's just when you she's it. just so, she's so perfect. It's obnoxious. Yeah, it's like oh, you guys can't do this. Let me hack it. Done. And then she goes away again. It was really frustrating. Yeah. The the other frustrating part was that a kid who has a regular job and goes to school every day is not going, and I know this from experience, is never going to be the top 10 of any video game that 9 million people are playing. Because we all know those people that sit at home that don't have to work who can play video games nonstop and get like the top of the top. If you have a job or go to school, you're not going to be top 10 out of a 9 million player video game, ever. There's going to be Koreans sitting, getting paid by the government in a bar to play these games and be number one. It's not going to be a kid with a job who goes to school. You all know that. That's the damn truth. That's, yeah. the, that's no the, one is. That's the StarCraft truth right there. Seriously, you're not going to be the number 10 player of StarCraft in the world or in the top 10 if you go to school and go to work every day and play for a couple hours at night. It's literally not possible. Full, that, with, that is a full-time with job. With 9 million players. Yeah, Keep, it, is, keeping, it is. Keeping that ranking is a full-time yeah, job. Yeah, and he couldn't do it. As soon as he went to school and come back, he'd be like player of 6 million. Like, it would be impossible. <laughs> So that's unrealistic. I'm starting to wonder if he's played any video games in modern day. <laughs> Honestly, video games don't work the way he thinks they work anymore. Well, then, typically, I mean, I, I, I assume he has a career, you know, since his books are successful. So I, I would guess that he hasn't. <laughs> it's, it seems reasonable. Let's talk also about light speed. Can we talk about Zach Lightman's <laughs> speed real quick? There, I swear there's a part in the book where they say there's this ship called the SS Doolittle for some reason where they were sending out to Europa, Euro mm. Europa or, or something. E Europa. Yeah, whatever. And they said it's been traveling for two years at seven times the speed of light. Okay, I did the math on that, bitches. Listen to this. The speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. They're doing seven times that. That means they're doing 1.3 million miles per second for two years. Well, Jupiter is only 365 million miles away. So in one second, they've gone way past it. So done. Now, yeah, that, that's, done. Weird. that's weird that they, they really said like... It said that they, it was traveling for two years at seven times the speed of light. That 
is but an unfathomable. No, they'd be in a completely different galaxy. That, that makes that makes no sense. They would say that it'd be because that, that's. I a, read that. That's weird because that's a that's a perfectly reasonable projection for getting to Europa. Perhaps I've written it down wrong and need to do some fact checking. But I wrote this as soon as I read it. But like, but not at the speed of light because like implying that humanity had any kind of light speed technology. Well, they, it's it's because they retrofitted the alien technology that right. crashed and put it on like other ships they've been making in secret. Huh. But seven times the speed of light, like I said, is one point three million. Yeah miles away that's, that's fucking fast that's way faster than you need to get that's to europa 1.3 million miles per second and like i said it's only 365 million they're getting there in like less than 365 seconds and they've been doing that for two years they're they are in another universe friends i don't know where they are but they're not in the same solar system anymore and that was my beef also the ending <laughs> we talk about the giant 20-sided die that was the the final test from contact to prove if humanity was was worthy enough to be oh in the, the collective, like, space union. Literally, at the end, he makes the right choice, and then a, a dodeca... A shit you not, a dodecahedron, like, the size of a pl- a moon comes out of the, if, the planet. If you read 2010 and Contact and watch Last Starfighter... And you, read Ender's Game. you and, and Ender's Game, you get Armada. And that's, like, that's the equation equals this book. And on the one hand, like, the novelty of this pop culture derivative fiction is intriguing... But it is just that a novelty and clearly that novelty coupled with this completely lousy and frustrating characterization does not a good book make. And every part of this book has been done by another book better. Or another movie better. Every single part is done better. I suppose that's maybe the worst part. It's standing on the shoulders of giants, and it cannot for Voltron. You read it in the first. (laughs) (laughs) That is amazing. You need to put that in the fucking uh, page. That's that's on the jacket for Armada. (laughs) (laughs) But like in the first couple pages, he even says cheesy eighty movies like Starfighter and like all this stuff. And I'm like, you did the same thing, but did it worse than them. I don't know if that was his point. I hate it. (laughs) I hate it. Oh god, I can't say enough bad things about this. Uh, literally, like it does seem like it was written by like he's like, I have a son. You write the book. I'll just tell you what references to throw in there, and that's what happened. I don't know. His ten year old, or, or, you know, or maybe that Ready Player One was as would be understandable with a debut novel, heavily edited by a number of other parties, and he right. didn't have the same oversight. The editing pro- wouldn't you know. have changed the entire story. Well, maybe uh, would have actually. It can. Yeah, yeah, you, had, you have edited stuff from before. It's completely different. So you're right and better. <laughs> so yeah. We're a good team, Brandon. We're a really good team. I don't know. I really wanted at least like towards the end of the book when he meets his father. Oh, don't even. And that stuff goes down. I thought, (laughs) I thought, okay, here, here's where the emotional connection might happen. Nope. (laughs) But no. His father's lame. He just fucking, his father's lame. lame. The kid is not as angry as he fucking should be for his father having left for this bullshit and not even know, like he just took everything. There's like a, a second and an infinitesimal amount of time where he's like, Oh, this is kind of shitty. My dad sucks. No way. He's awesome. And like I said, the whole story is in one day. So yeah, there's like, there's well, it's no, also, it's, it's all surface. <laughs> the whole book is surface. It's, 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 it's like that. Ernest Klein did not feel anything besides like these pop culture references that don't have any kind of deeper meaning or deeper. And that's the thing about ready player one is that it felt like the pop culture references had purpose had meaning and had a place in that world. And this one is just so surface and on such a level where it feels like these, the, the, the the things that the characters are feeling are also on that level where you Zach Lightman, the reason why you don't care about him is because he, he is a two dimensional character. 
And it, it just sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ready Player One works because those pop culture references, like you said, like have a place because they're needed so- for the well, story. Society, the way it works is based around that that guy's video game or it's stuff that, that that's all full of the pop culture references that have informed society altogether, like right. the entirety of, of society. At the that entire point. world got obsessed with the Willy Wonka pop culture chase right. of the of the game and Ready Player so that, One. <laughs> and it makes sense. And you do still get an emotional connection with how shitty everything is. And it's like he tried to do the exact same thing with Armada. But with failed. even with with the twist with. Carl Sagan was in on it and Neil deGrasse all Tyson of that. Is, Neil deGrasse is Tyson there. is in on it. Like it's like he almost tried to give it a reason and it just fucking failed. And, you know, he just couldn't do it again. Here's, here's the thing he does that always pisses me off. So the way he describes Armada is like he mentions things like, oh, and the scores by John Williams and like like it's like Oh my god. Every every but every person you've ever heard of who's like a known entity in the gaming industry has worked on this or game. Movie. And he's yeah. ma- he's just made he's like, This is the triple A game to end all triple A games and him describing it as just one big name drop of like of people that exist in our reality as famous people. And you're like, yeah, okay, and, you're like, and cool. they're in on it. And they're in on it. And it's like, oh God, just stop listing shit. Just stop <laughs> listing shit. It's and, a then listicle. I, and then I dialed the phone it's of the listicle. secret scientist. <laughs> Armada where it was, the listicle. Yeah, I dialed, he got the secret contact info for like the, the science society with, with like uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson and Stephen Hawking and got them all on the phone at once. And it's just like, oh, shut up. Stephen Hawking would tell you to fuck off. How, do, how did right you get off. this number? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was horrible. I I hope to God I'll Neil deGrasse your fucking eyes. <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson would have some real big issues with the physics and the math and this shit. I hope he never reads. I hope to God Neil never reads this shit. <laughs> I hope to God for your sake, Ernest, because he's gonna drain the water right out of his that voice. Neil, <laughs> that is the one thing he possibly got right is the underwater. Which, by the way, he stole from Neil deGrasse Tyson. Is that what? the liquid water on Europa? Dude, no, that, that was life. I know, I know. It's that been was way before Neil deGrasse Tyson, 2010, especially the, the Arthur C. Clarke book. Well, no, it was, it was a theory uh, forever. It's, I mean, it's been, been way th- before it's been a theory that. forever, but but established firmly in pop culture. But if by there's liquid water on Europa, there is almost guaranteed life. So. Yeah, but but he got that one thing right. There's probably life there somehow, some somewhat. Well, except that there wasn't. Oh wait, you're right. There. It was a it was robot. Fucking fake. You're life. right. It was a robot, and then they stole the fucking swastika from Contact. Literally, yeah. I went back and read that, and it was just like. The first scene. So the here's the thing: if you're listening yeah. to this, if you're listening to this, and you haven't read the book, and I, I understand why you're here. You're well, like, I don't spoilers, give a fuck. Yeah. So here's a spoiler section. So, so this whole conspiracy of the alien, the alien menace, really exists and whatever. It is when I mentioned that contact was really important. It, it is super important because it's straight up, basically, Ripping it off. Carl Sagan wrote the book Contact to warn us about what was actually happening. So in, in the book's reality, so like he was we discovered this. that there was. Some something going down in Europa. We looked at it with a telescope, and there's a big fucking swastika out there, like the size of the entire moon, like covering it. Right, and that's and well, that's both contact and also armada. Yeah, the first message is that the aliens, I think, send back in contact when they decipher it was like Hitler and like a swastika. So yeah, some kind of Nazi speech or something. Yeah. So yeah, it's I just. It's just hitting you in the face with like, you remember this? You remember that? Like, whereas in Ready Player One, they were used if, as like plot devices. If, if I hadn't like, read Ready Player One, I wouldn't think that this could be done successfully. You wouldn't read But Ready Ernest Cline showed me it could be done successfully, and now he's shown me how to just crash and burn. Maybe that's his point. Maybe he will come out afterwards and be like, this is what you don't do. 
You see how good this first book was? This the second one is an example of how <laughs> this you is the meta commentary. Yes. He, we're his experiment. Yeah. <laughs> and well, he see, is... the problem the problem also is that like you who was the listener who read it and was like basically like, Oh yeah, I read this and then you know what? I don't really need to read Ready Player One. You know, that that's what's really sad is that this book is wrecking future readers for Ready Player One, which yeah. is a great book. Yeah, I probably I, wouldn't that's a real tragedy. I probably wouldn't read this first and then think that the other book was worth picking yeah. up. If I read Armada and then Cap's like, now read Ready Player One, I'd be like, you're fucking out of your mind. Get out of here. Get the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. I, I, I'd refuse. And I I would respect that decision because based on Armada, that's a that's a sound life decision and you make good decisions. It's fan fiction <laughs> that was somehow published. Oh, who published this? Get him on the phone. Get him on the horn. Is it Tor? I don't know who did his first book. Tor. Crown. Oh, no. Not even. No, well, see, I don't even know what Crown is. They'll publish anything, apparently. So that's Armada, guys. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I feel I'm sorry, Ernest Klein, but yes, I'm sorry for bashing it, but that's what it gets. Sorry, not sorry. I keep saying I was rooting for him, so you know it, it didn't, but he it didn't knows. pan out. He he knows. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way he doesn't. So if you have any thoughts on Armada, it's not too late to share them. Share them with us. Help commiserate in this experience. Yeah, if you think that, or if you think that we're fucking wrong. Yeah. For sure. Prove it. Yeah, please, pr- please try to prove how we're wrong. I dare you. With, you. Your, with your words. If you got any thoughts on the other books we discussed in this episode, let us know. Give, send us your feels. And um, you can find I, probably the Nerdy Show forums is the best, most concise place to do that. But however you want to reach out to us, we got every witch channel you can possibly conceive. And we'll see you in another two months with A Handmaid's Tale. A Handmaid's Tale. A Handmaid's Tale. Yes, please, please keep correcting me. With uh, We'll see how wrong this gets by the by the time we actually do discuss that. And remember, if you dig the show, you should totally rate and review us on iTunes. We really, really, really need those reviews as we're breaking Nerdy Show Book Club off into its own show. And also, if you can, support us. And if you support us on Patreon at $5 or more, um, and actually even $1 or more, you, there's still some perks that you can get that pertain to Nerdy Show Book Club outtakes. Consider the options. They're all fun. They're all good. And reach out to us if you have any questions about anything (laughs) at all. I don't care. Whatever it is, we'll answer it. It might be wrong, but we'll answer it. Are are all of the old episodes of Nerdy Show Book Club going to be on that feed? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're all there. The Nerdy Show Book Club feed? Yep. They're all there. From episode zero, our humble beginnings as a Nerdy Show microsode where a fan suggested we have a book club all the way to present. Is there going wow. to be a uh, link to perhaps the Amazon to purchase The Handmaid's Tale Why, yes, by Danica. Margaret Atwood? Absolutely. In on- Kindle edition or Yeah, on this episode's page, you can link, we'll, we'll link to that and you can buy it in whatever format you choose and we will reap the benefits of a percentage at no extra cost to you. Anything you buy through our Amazon links from diapers to... DVDs will all help line the Nerdy Show coffers. From condoms to coffins. <laughs> From birth to death. I guess that's where I was going with that. I don't know. Everything we talked about, you can li- we'll link to it on Amazon on this episode's page. You can totally pick it up, read it, let us know what you think, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nerdy Show Book Club. Since we, um, since we talked about uh, Mortal Kombat, let's play a Shale Riley classic. His cover of Sub-Zero by the Immortals from the original Mortal Kombat album, the one that predates the Mortal Kombat soundtrack. It is so fucking good, yeah. that album. Oh my god. You cannot beat Mortal Kombat by the Immortals. Every track is a gem. Seriously, y'all, check it out. And just, I want, I want you to know we're being facetious, but it is good bad, so keep that in mind. 
Oh, it is great bad. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm Brandon. Bye, I'm Danica. Bye, I'm Colin. show network alive by telling a friend or funding the network via patreon any size contribution gets you exclusive outtakes episodes and images from across the network and there's even more perks available just head to patreon.com nerdy show to find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other nerdy show programming visit nerdyshow.com sponsorships for more podcasts, articles, community forums, and other awesomeness, visit nerdyshow.com and be sure to follow Nerdy Show on all your favorite social networks. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 